Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, uh, we finally have the full set for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. And in this episode, we're going to be doing our set review. So there's a lot of new legendary creatures, a lot of powerful main deck cards that we're going to be talking about. And just a couple things to note. Um, we're not going to be covering the contents of the Commander Precons in this episode. We're going to be doing that in next week's episode. And also, uh, we will be covering the eight set booster exclusive um, Neon Dynasty Kamigawa Commander cards in this episode. So there's eight cards designated as Neon Dynasty Commander um, that you can only get in set boosters. We're going to be talking about them here because that just makes more sense to us. Other than that, uh, before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get podcasts. Okay. The gauntlet begins. The gauntlet begins. <laughs> uh, okay, we're starting with the commanders. Um, there's one little cluster I want to get out of the way really quickly, and then we'll just go through in Wooberg order. Yeah. So first um, grouping of cards I want to talk about is the Go Shintais. So these are all legendary enchantment creature shrines. So they have an enchantment subtype, but not a creature type. Uh, and there's one in each color. And they all um, have triggers that say at the beginning of your end step, you may pay one if you do do something uh, for each shrine you control. So uh, because they're all monocolored, it really limits what they're able to do. None of them have access to more than two other shrines. Um, so they're just not super interesting as commanders. Um, there is a commander we're going to be talking about later on that seem that you know is is clearly built to be the lead of a shrine deck. So I wouldn't really recommend building around the Goshen ties. I, I would say if you're interested in shrines, mm, just hold on to your horses because it's 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 going to be uh, <laughs> yeah. a pretty good option discussed later in this episode. Yeah, I I do want to say that I think this was clever making the shrines creatures. I think it's funny. Um, shrine is not a creature type, so. It is an enchantment subtype. It's the same way that like Dryad Arbor Forest is not now a creature type. It's just a uh, land. Um, yeah, so and that does kind of create problems because like normally if you see an issue like this where, oh, there's just not enough members of this tribe, you can supplement it with changelings. But because it's an enchantment type and not a creature type, changelings can't help you. Yes. Yeah, I do think it's cool that these exist. And I think when we get to the other commander we can talk about why but um they're just legendary because that's just the balance on shrines like they didn't want mono blue to like play four of the draw a bunch of cards shrine and like kill themselves too fast i don't know what you do with that many cards but <laughs> um these are cool they're interesting they all uh trigger on your end step which is different for shrines because every time we've seen shrines so far they've triggered a different time the first cycle was the upkeep the second one was your main phase i think that's what it was uh yeah, pre-combat main phase. Yeah, and then these ones are end step and you have to pay a generic to do whatever they're doing. Uh and they're all uh they're all fine as far as shrines, but we'll talk about those more when we get to the big guy. So, we got yep. a lot of legendaries to talk about. Okay. Uh with that out of the way, we're 
going to jump into Wooberg order and we're going to start with, is this AO? Owl? Yeah, AO, AO the Dawnstar, which, the or, which I think means blue. Hmm. Uh, so. So, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, so this is three white white for a five four legendary creature dragon spirit. It has flying and vigilance, and when it dies, choose one. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put any number of non-land permanent cards with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And the other mode is put two plus and plus one counters on each permanent you control. That's a creature or vehicle. So uh, this is a really interesting commander. Um, the, that gameplay of kind of flipping through huge swaths of your library is pretty unique. There, I mean, clearly you're going to want a lot of sacrifice outlets in this list. Um, it also makes sense to limit the number of instants and sorceries and really try to get as many hits as possible for AO. Um, there are a couple cards that if you hit it off the top, you can likely just immediately get AO back and roll the dice again um i'm thinking of uh loyal retainers so two and a white for a one one you could sacrifice it to return a legendary creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield that is i mean that's a great thing to flip into another is mist moon griffin which is three and a white for a two two flying if it or when it's when it dies you may exile it and return target or return the top creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield so that's another good card to flip into off AO. Um, generally, uh, there, there's a couple things that work really well with this commander. Um, Nim Death Mantle is great for just getting additional AO triggers. Um, Gift of Immortality is another great way to, to frequently get his trigger and just get all irrelevant cards out of your library onto the battlefield. Um, and then, of course, you can go infinite if you have like an Ashnod's Altar and a Nim Death Mantle. If you just keep hitting creatures off of his trigger, then you can keep paying for the Death Mantle. But, um, so that seems pretty good as well. Uh, any Anything you want to say about AO? No, I think it's really cool how... So circa like 2011, um, you had a Yosei the Morningstar deck, and uh, I think it's really interesting... And cool and good of them that like this time around, like a lot of the dragons like build you up as opposed to tear opponents down. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think about that deck a lot because it was very powerful and like if it was doing its thing, like no one else at the table could play the game. <laughs> Where this one is is kind of like you said, like it is giving you this kind of like spin through your deck, like get a bunch of stuff out. Um, like it, it's aggressive in a cool way that White hasn't really seen before and it's constructive in a way that like white has said white is constructive in but like hasn't really been in you know what i mean mm-hmm. so um yeah i'm just very happy that ao exists i think this is actually like a really cool mono white list yes and we have a list in the episode description so check that out if you're curious about how to build ao yeah so can i read this next guy go for it so this is light pause emperor's voice Light Paws is a 2-2 Fox Advisor for 2 mana, 1 and a white, and they have a big trigger. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura 
and with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield, attached to light pause, Emperor's voice, then shuffle. So that restriction, the different name, that doesn't matter in Commander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, we were just going to put different auras on anyway because it's a singleton format. So this seems like we're in 60 card that's like, so you don't put a bunch of um, Daybreak Coronets on your guy or whatever. Like, this is... This this guy is just a cool aura commander, is what it seems like to me. It seems like you're saving a bunch of mana. Yeah, uh, it seems quite powerful. Um, pretty much, if your opponent isn't interacting with you much in the first couple turns of the game, this becomes like a lethal Voltron threat very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you cast Light Paws on turn two, there is um, you can just concentrate your auras around like one two and three mana and then you'll make it so that pretty much no matter what you're going to get um like an ethereal armor so that's the one mana aura and equip or sorry enchanted creature gets plus one plus one for each enchantment you control and has first strike um your there's also all that glitters one and a white for an aura enchanted creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control um and there's also Battle Mastery at three mana that gives it something double strike. So really powerful, aggressive options, uh, you know, at the, the lower end of the curve. And then also some really good protection options. Um, not only do you have things that, that grant protection, like, say, Flickering Ward, um, there's also several, um, several uh, totem armor auras at the the low end of the curve like hyena umbra felidar umbra and then you also have at at three mana things like um timely ward things like shielded by faith so it's pretty easy to to give light paws protection from your opponent's colors and and give it indestructible uh also very easy to make it a huge double striking threat um and then it's there's also plenty of evasive auras in this color identity as well so i think just as long as you have a pretty good mix of low CMCs, you can just get the most powerful ones every single game, beat in for for crazy huge. And it's worth noting that um, light pause triggers even if you're casting auras on your opponent's things. So you can say like Heliod's Punishment or Dark Steel Mutation, your opponent's creature, and still get his trigger to to make light pause even bigger. Mm-hmm. I think that's the coolest part about light pause is that they let you keep that functionality in. Like, let's say you've just always wanted to play with pacifism and commander. Well, here you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's now it's really good. Pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So um, we will be posting a link to uh, a sample deck list in the episode description as well. Keep it moving. Do you want me to read this next one? Mm-hmm. This is uh, so. This is one of the eight commander cards that we're going to discuss because it is in a set booster this is Miogen of blooming dawn this is a four six spirit for eight mana five white 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 Miogen of blooming dawn enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter on it if you cast it from your hand and remove an indestructible counter from Miogen of blooming dawn create a one one colorless spirit creature token for each permanent you control yeah, do you want to get into? Uh, I think you were able to do a little a little digging on this card. 
Yeah, so I think the obvious question when you look at this card is why does it only work from your hand when, and I, I'm sorry, I forgot if you mentioned this, but this is um, the first of the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty set booster exclusive commander cards. So it, um, I mean, they are, are clearly targeting commander with this. It's intended to be a card for this format. So that the obvious question is, why does it not work from the command zone? And they, they briefly addressed this on the weekly MTG stream where they spoiled these cards. Um, and, and I guess spoilers, we're going to be talking about more Myogens and a couple other set booster exclusive cards in a little bit. Um, but the, the, the answer to that question was Corey, I, I believe that's Corey Bowen, the set lead, wanted to try it without the from your hand restriction. And then we just realized quickly that reanimation shenanigans and just having this in your command zone was pretty powerful if you built around it, especially maybe the blue one, uh, if you're trying to do some tricky stuff. And, and, you know, I guess we'll get more on that later. Um, But the thing is, like, if you couldn't make, if you couldn't, like, balance it to be cast from the command zone, then why not just change the ability? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I I mean... To me, it just seems silly that it's not like Myogen of Blooming Dawn enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter on it if you cast it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that stops graveyard shenanigans and blink shenanigans, but like still allows you to like to have your card work. Yeah, as intended from the command zone. And then it'll work with like other stuff too if you get it off of like, um, I don't know, uh, what's the red enchantment that you like cast a spell and you get a different one from your deck with possibility storm yeah like then it doesn't feel that bad with possibility storm and like there's other corner cases where like it works out for you um if you hit it off of like a temporal aperture you know like there's just so many ways in which that like has functionality that is fun and you feel clever and then still works from the command zone while also kind of nerfing the graveyard shenanigans so Mm -hmm. it just seems like it's so obvious that they would miss that I don't know. Well, well, I think they were like kind of alluding to that when they said, and just having this in your command zone was pretty powerful if you built around it. But like, why? Like, like I've gotten over the fact that not every legendary creature is going to be an awesome commander. But what's the point of having these bonus commander slots if the legendary creatures printed in these slots <laughs> are yeah. like don't work well from the command zone? Like, you are designers. You can if there's something that isn't working, if it's too good. Like, I don't really believe that any of these are too powerful from the command zone, but, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll take it on faith for the purpose of this argument. Even if that's the case, just change the card. Just make it do something different. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, if it's the blue one in particular that's way too good out of the command zone, just nerf the hell out of the blue one rather than nerfing the entire cycle so that, like, your mono white deck has to, A, get eight mana, B, figure out a way to bounce it back to your hand <laughs> and then C, like cast it for another eight mana. That seems uh, pretty, pretty darn challenging. Um, so I, God, I just really don't love any of the members of this cycle. Um, I, I will mention some brief tech just so we don't have yeah, to say to it over it. and over. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Command Beacon is the land that, you know, taps for a colorless and then you can tap and sacrifice it to put your commander from the command zone into your hand 
So that's a way to skip the step of having to cast it from your command zone pointlessly and then get it back to your hand. Uh, and then Sanctum of Eternity uh, is a land that taps for a colorless and you can pay, I think, two and tap it yeah. um, and bounce your commander from the battlefield to your hand. So that's like a bounce. That's a, a bounce engine that's available in every color. So all of these monocolored Meogens can run either of these cards, Command Beacon or Sanctum of Eternity. Yep. Um, other than that, like, I mean, the trigger is powerful. Like, that, that's kind of the thing is, like, if you can get to eight, <laughs> like, <laughs> all of these things are worth eight mana, you know? Like, uh, we'll talk about all of them. And for the most part, like, yeah, I would spend eight mana to do that, you know, for, for most of these Meogens. And definitely, like, getting, I don't know, like, nine to nine plus tokens is pretty good for eight mana mm-hmm. <laughs> and having a four, six left behind. So I don't know. It's, it, it is a little disappointing. Um, it's like they had a chance to fix the cycle, which I, I think a lot of people really loved. And I think a lot of people played a lot of in like the early days of commander, uh, maybe not as a commander itself, but like index. And, uh, it would have been cool to see that Myogens uh, kind of work a little better. But yeah, yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um, do we want to get into the next uh, mono white commander? Sure. Uh, this next one is Norika Yamazaki, the poet. Uh, so this is two and a white for a three-two legendary creature, human samurai with vigilance. And whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, you may cast target enchantment card from your graveyard this turn. Uh, really quickly, some some good enchantments that sacrifice themselves or, or tend to find themselves. On- in your graveyard uh, are seal of cleansing or of silence soul snare parallax wave minimus containment uh, that's the new aura from afr that turns things into a treasure uh, all of life's bounty and there's a couple of white sagas that are pretty good and probably yeah. worth recurring mm-hmm. you're probably i would imagine that you're going to want to find ways to get value while getting these things into your graveyard or at least for maybe some of your other enchantments. So like Mask of Memory um, and some of the better white spell shapers are pretty solid discard outlets that can generate value. So that's something to consider. Also, if you're planning on triggering Norika just by like maybe protecting her somehow and getting in with her, maybe the way you could do that is by giving her Indestructible. And then that way... um, you can like reuse something like a planar collapse, which is one in a white for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. If there are four or more creatures on the battlefield, sacrifice it and destroy all creatures. If you, you know, focus on giving your commander indestructible or some other way to protect her from this effect, then you can just wipe the board every single turn. And that's probably pretty powerful. Yes. I actually think that that's a pretty cool way. Like, this is kind of another in the cycle, uh, well, not cycle, but this is another in the line of like uncommon legends in these sets that just kind of rule. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like they've been doing such a good job printing these like uncommon legends that are so cool to build around. And I, I really like this. I like that you can be like really mean with Norica. You could just like play a lot of sagas and discard outlets and get your stuff back. Um, it, I don't know. It's just, I, I think the, hooks with which to hang things on that Norica gives you are really cool and um it's 
cool to see three mana commanders that are good. Um, it's cool that it's an attack trigger. There's just a lot of a lot of good stuff. Do you want? Can I read off this nice commander? Yes, go for it. All right, this is another commander set booster card. This is Yoshimaru Ever Faithful. So this is a one-one dog. And he has whenever another legendary permanent enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Yoshimaru Ever Faithful. And then he has Partner. He's the only partner in the set, but I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. This is so cool and so good, and it's such a good idea. People know like the Futurama episode with the dog that waits for Fry and then Fry doesn't come back and it's really sad. That's kind of based on like a real story from Japan in the 30s. There's this guy who had this dog, Hachiko, and he would always walk with his dog to the station and then he'd take the, like go to work and then come back and the dog would be waiting for him and then they'd walk back home together. Uh, oh, he was a, a university professor, sorry. So he would go and then come back and walk the dog. But one day he went to work and he he died. He died at work. And because he never came back, Hachiko never left the the station and so he just waited there and people took care of him at the station for like 10 years so it's this like famous story of this like really sweet loyal dog and uh they made it into a commander <laughs> which is really cool so i i really like the flavor of this card um because it has partner but i know you can get into your your thing too because um <laughs> there, there's a lot to say about the design outside of just the flavor of the card mm -hmm. yeah i personally i don't really see why this card was given partner um i don't mm, i don't think there's like really any cool archetypes enabled by yoshimaru that you couldn't already do with like heleth um sun may Famili sun main familiar uh that's the one in the white one one horse that whenever a commander you control attacks, put a plus one plus one counter on it. So I think Keleth kind of has the same design space of like tiny commander that enables or like gets a lot of plus one plus one counters. Uh, I think it's interesting that Watsi is willing to use the set booster slots to print new partners, mm -hmm. but I would prefer if they used those slots or, or prioritized using the slots to create new archetypes instead of communicating story elements. This, this seems like it's mostly a flavor-driven kind of thing. Um, and that's not... When you only have like eight commander bonus slots, I, I don't really... I, I would like to see them used mm, wisely. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, like... Because I'm on the opposite side of that. I actually think that, like... If they're going to print like eight weird slots, like this is the kind of commander that like people are going to really like because of the flavor. And I would rather have this here than like in the set or like in the commander decks, like printed at large, you know, like I I think that the small amount of people, and this is something I'm gonna say again with another one of these commanders we're going to talk about the small amount of people that have been really vocal about certain things or that really like certain subsets of magic that aren't like broadly applicable you couldn't make a set mechanic around them like printing partners kind of dangerous in other places like i think this is 
fine. And I think the power level of the card is like so low <laughs> that like uh it's safe to do it. And if we see partners of this like power level, hopefully there'll be enabling strategies, but but this doesn't actually upset me. I think this is like cute and I think that there are people who are gonna like bicep boosters or or get cards specifically for this guy. So I, I think from that perspective, like Wizards is is smart they're they're playing into a certain market with this card and i can appreciate that where with the myogens like not being able to cast as your commander it's like who is this for Mm -hmm. (laughs) like with this card i can look and go like ah yes those people love this with the myogens i go hmm and just scratch my head and go huh i don't really understand why you made that decision but so just because of that i'm i like yoshimaru a lot all right. Uh, one last thing on this card. Uh, Micah on our Discord server mentioned that this opens up another option for a partner pair that allows you to use Luris as a companion. So you can pair this uh, with M- Miara, the mono black elf tribal commander. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's fun. All right. Moving on to the blue commanders. This is Jingataxius Progress Tyrant. It is five blue blue for a five five legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. Whenever you cast an instant artifact or sorcery spell, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. And whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant, or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability triggers only once each turn. So this, uh, in addition to being like potentially a uh, powerful reanimation target for the decks that are looking for that kind of thing, Uh, As a commander, I think there's a couple things you can do with it. There is a little bit of combo space for this commander, um, specifically with extra turn spells. So (laughs) if if you have uh, one of the non-exiling extra turn spells, like a time warp or a temporal manipulation, you can cast it, and you get a copy, so you get two turns. And then on the first of your extra turns, you well, I'll go through one line, and I'll go through the other line. So on the first of your extra turns, you can cast a Codex Shredder, which is a one-mana artifact where you can pay five, tap, and sacrifice it to return a card from your graveyard to your hand. So if you cast a Codex Shredder on the first of your extra turns, you get a copy of a Codex Shredder. And then if you sacrifice the original, the real Codex Shredder, to get back your extra turn spell, and then you can sacrifice the token copy of your Codex Shredder to get back the real codex shredder to your hand then on the second of your extra turns you can cast your time warp again and you just continue that loop over and over it is a little bit mana intensive i mean it does work and there's another loop that's a little bit more mana efficient if you have any two of call to mind deja vu relearn sage's knowledge or said and done uh, any of those five sorceries that return instance of sorceries from your graveyard to your hand then what you can do is uh your you cast your extra turn spell you get a copy then on the first of your extra turns you cast a call to mind and you get back your time warp or you get a copy of it one copy gets back the time warp the other one gets back whatever other um relearn effect you have in your graveyard so you can continually loop those and eventually you'll win somehow. Yeah. I think like 
I am on record saying how the last Vorinclex was going to be like really crazy and really strong and stuff and, and really like oppressive to tables. Like Jinkatex is actually like, like is that I think Jinkatex is, is actually like a terror to casual play groups because of all the reasons you just said the extra turn spells, the um, control and the combo finish, like mm-hmm. there, there's a lot going on here and it's mono blue. So you, you have card draw, you have bounce, you have counter spells. This is pretty gnarly. So I think Jenga Taxis himself is basically your win condition. You don't need to rush to get there because you're playing like mono blue control. Um, so I think this deck is pretty gnarly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like this deck is like pretty, pretty brutal to play against. And I enjoy that we have people in our playgroup who um, enjoy that. And I, I, I don't mind playing against that. But definitely, your playgroup might be hesitant to use this guy. I mean, that said, like I, it, he's doing things I love. Like I, I just love, like recursion so all the spell recursion cards in this deck like so much fun so cool um the fact that like if you can use your artifacts to ramp him out that he just your mana explodes like all of a sudden you cast a gilded lotus you have two gilded lotuses like you're probably gonna have enough mana to do whatever you need the next turn (laughs) Mm -hmm. so there is a pretty brutal like pseudo combo with him where you can lock your opponents out of the game, or at least the instant sorceries and artifacts they cast out of the game. Um, where if you have a... Oh god, what we just said it. What was it called? Arcane Laboratory. Yes. If you have an Arcane Laboratory, um, which is... It's a rule of lot says players can only cast one spell a turn. Then it means that like they can't cast artifact, instant, or sorcery spells. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty brutal. Um, so that's also something to like take note of. And I don't know. That's where I'm at with this guy. I I do like him. I do like that the Praetors are mean. Um, I think that's a flavor win. I think there are some people who just want to play mean games of Magic, and there are some people who like the challenge. And that's they they need commanders too. <laughs> so I I think this is really cool, and I think the deck is cool. I just don't think I'm gonna see it very often. I think this appeals to, um. A very particular type of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Jinkataxius earns a place in Neombi Reanimator? Uh, I pro- yeah, I would actually say so. At bare minimum for the like second ability, the countering spells ability, mm-hmm. because like the bane of like it's not as bad in like Neombi or or like other white Reanimator because it is a Reanimator, but like you still have to rebuild after a wrath and so the fact that now they have to have two (laughs) is pretty good because your board gets way better than theirs way faster Uh, especially with like a jingataxius like one and two out where like you might be discarding a bunch of cards and reanimating them and you're reanimating two things each time when you cast late to dinner or whatever spell it is so seems good yeah definitely i Mm -hmm. i uh i guess that was the other thing to say about this is this seems like a great card for decks even if it's not your commander definitely all right moving on to the next commander this is Kyrie, the swirling sky it's four blue blue for a six six legendary creature dragon spirit with flying and ward three when it dies choose one return any number of target non-land permanents with total mana value six or less 
through their owner's hands. Alternatively, you can mill six cards, then return up to two instant and or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand. So this is another member of the Dragon Spirit cycle, and it also has a bit of combo potential. Mm -hmm. So, And actually, there's sort of different things you can try um, building around either of the two abilities. So, so one thing that works really well with this first death trigger, the, the bounce death trigger, is Dance of Many. So Dance of Many is an enchantment for UU, uh, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you pay UU or sacrifice it, and when it enters the battlefield, basically you, you make a token copy of a creature on the battlefield. If the token leaves the battlefield, you sacrifice Dance of Many. So what this means with, um, with Kyrie is that if you play Dance of Many, you can then make a copy of Kyrie. You have the token die, and then you get to stack the trigger. So uh, you can, there's the Dance of Many trigger that where the token leaves the battlefield, you sacrifice Dance of Many. And then there's the Kyrie trigger that lets you bounce a bunch of things. So if you put the, the Kyrie trigger on top so that it resolves first, you get to not only bounce the Dance of Many so that you don't have to sacrifice it, but you can also bounce four mana worth of non-land permanence. And then once you do that, the Dance of Many is back in your hand. You can, you're back where you started, except you are down two mana, and you've bounced some things. So you can keep doing that, just paying UU and bouncing four mana worth of permanence as kind of as, as many times as you can afford. And that's a pretty good way to control the board. Not, not infinite, though. The, mm-hmm. But if you want to go infinite, you definitely can uh, using Kyrie's other ability. You're in blue, so you're on color for a lot of instants and sorceries that create token copies of creatures you control. And um, you're also uh, on color for turnabout. So turnabout is two UU for an instant and basically choose creatures, artifacts, or lands, um, untap or tap all permanents of the chosen type that target player controls. So what Turnabout is really good for is uh, generate. It's basically a ritual. Like you, you name your lands, and then you can untap all your lands. So as long as you have enough lands that you're netting a decent amount of mana off of Turnabout, you can uh, cast Turnabout, net some mana, make a copy, use that mana to make a copy of Kyrie using like quasi duplicate or writer application or whatever. And then that new Kyrie comes in, it dies because of the legend rule, and then you can return both your turnabout and your copy spell to your hand. So assuming you have enough mana, you can generate infinite mana this way. You can also generate infinite storm just by going through this loop over and over and over. You're also going to be milling your entire library. So the really neat thing, I mean, because Kyrie has that mill six cards part of that ability. So the really neat thing is that uh, you don't really need to have the win condition in your hand. Eventually, you're going to mill into your brain freeze or whatever, and then you can just return it with Kyrie's ability and brain freeze out your opponents. Another one, like I, I love what happened when they changed the legend rule. Um, like way back when, clone. Well, okay, I like both versions of it. I do think that they enjoy that clones aren't kill spells anymore, but I like that you got this like pick one and keep it thing because it allows stuff like this to happen. Uh, and it gives blue a lot of these really cool decks. Um, 
where you are kind of copying legends and like you can play around with things in a very different way than you could before. So I I think this deck is really cool and I think this commander is really cool. I think any commander where they're six mana, like like five mana plus, and then you also need a bunch of other things, like are pretty okay. They're pretty fine. Like as powerful as this like combo is, you can't it's not like you hit six mana and then you win, <laughs> you know, like like you have to have the setup for it. Which is kind of how I like to play games too. I like having some form of inevitability so that if it does get to like turn 17, the game is going to end at some point. And that's what Mm -hmm. Kyrie seems like to me. Um, Like, oh, well, you know, it's turn 12 and we've been wrath like four times. So here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let's, let's, let's play a new game. Kyrie, dance of many, blah, blah, whatever it might be. So, but I guess we can get into the Miojin. Do you want to get into that? Sure. Um, so this Myojin is Myojin of Cryptic Dreams. It is five UUU for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature spirit. It enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter only if you cast it from your hand. Uh, and you can remove that indestructible counter from it to copy target permanent spell you control three times. Uh, well... Busted. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> uh yeah, it, it sucks that I mean blue is probably the, the best at returning your things to your hand. Yeah. But still the fact that you're paying eight mana and then you're bouncing it, and then you're paying eight mana, and then you're casting presumably some like really expensive permanent spell, you know, some seven or eight mana haymaker. Like the fact that the total package is what like 23 24 mana yeah. plus the cost of the bounce spell <laughs> yep uh it's i fail to see how this would have been super broken if you just got the counter if you when you cast it from the command zone but like i you know i was looking through the list of like oh what are all the the sickest uh you know high value blue um permanent spells that you might want to copy and like, yeah, you can sort of get like a one-time ritual off your palancron or your great whale, or you could agent a treachery and steal three things and draw three cards, or you could Eldrazi conscription and just like kill somebody. But you know, these are all things where you're you're paying eight mana twice. Like you could already have won the game twice by this point, and none of those things are are just incredibly busted. I, I don't know. I don't see. What about this card required such an intense nurse to the entire cycle? Yeah, it's cards like this that make me wonder, like if I am playing the same format that R and D is like looking at, and yeah, like, you know, th- there's like if you really want to experience that feeling, you can just watch the episodes of Good Morning Magic with Melissa Detour. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. So, I mean, I I really do like Good Morning Magic. I, I watch most episodes, um, and I've definitely watched every episode of the like. I can't remember what they call it, where they look back at Commander decks. Commander and, Chronicles. Yeah, Commander Chronicles. And and it's disheartening sometimes to see what they have to say about some of the commanders. It's it's like, I don't even know if you've played this format before. And and I've played, it's not like I'm like insular, like I am nowadays, like more than I used to be, but I used to play at like shops a lot. I used to travel a lot and find places to play. Like I used to play with like a lot of people and... I remember like when these decks came out or like, oh yeah, I remember like playing up in the bay, like with guys when 
like commander like 2015 came out or you know whatever it was like and just not having the same impression as them at all mm-hmm. so yeah definitely kind <laughs> of not to not talk about Myojin Cryptic Dreams, because I think the trigger is really awesome. It's just like the format isn't like this anymore. You know, like we're not all dirtling till we get eight mana and then cast a nine mana spell to copy it three times. You know, like that just doesn't happen <laughs> like mm-hmm. it used to. So this is cool. And I think Myojin Cryptic Dreams is cool. I just am... It makes me wonder about internally in R and D, like what what are they playing? Like wh- who are they talking to, where they think like Commander needs like to be protected from this? Like have they looked at all the other busted things they print? Like yeah, I know it, there's a lot of like two CMC commanders yeah. that have me worried. I'm yeah. not super worried about the eight drops. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know. It's just very strange. So, yeah, Blue Myojin is cool. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how I feel. Um, can I read off this next card? Yeah, go for it. This is so the this card is so hilarious. This is the reality chip. This is a 04 legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish for two mana, one and a blue. So, the the text in the typeline is very small. Um you may look at the top card of your library at any time. As long as the reality chip is attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. Um, but you go, well, Zach, how do I do that? Well, it has a new ability called Reconfigure. So basically you pay two mana and you get this as a zero four and you can look at the top card of your library whenever. And then you can reconfigure it for two and a blue, which just means attach it to a creature you control it stops being a creature and just becomes an equipment you can also use the reconfigure to make it stop being an equipment and unattach it yes or rather not stop being an equipment but no longer be attached to the creature yes and it goes back to being a zero four so a uh, very important note um it, it's not like stuck in the chip phase and you can never get your zero four back <laughs> to block mm-hmm. or whatever um this card is is pretty crazy it's it's weird having a future site for like three mana, you know, like two mana, then three mana. Yeah, I am a huge fan of this card. I mean, every time we've seen a card, I don't know, over the last couple of years that says you may look at the top card of your library anytime, I'm already kind of on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting that. this out of the command zone is pretty exciting, especially at such a cheap cost. I really like the idea of using this with a bunch of things that allow you to um, mill yourself or mill the top card so you can just sculpt your dross incredibly easily Um, you know things like codex shredder or wanda vertebrae pixels of pandemonium whatever um, just to make it so that you're always you know you are definitely getting your land drop off of the top of your library every turn you're you have like a, a counter spell on the top of your library on your opponent's turns. Um, there's some fun stuff you can do with, because this isn't a blue color identity, uh, you have access to things like um, uh, Predict. So Predict is one in a blue for an instant. Choose a card name, then target player puts the, basically mills their top card. And if the milled card has the chosen name, you draw two cards. Otherwise, draw a card. So it's just two mana instant draw two cards that's 
I mean, when you know, when you're definitely going to predict the, the right yeah. thing, <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's worth um, it. <laughs> and then there's another version of that, which is basically the same thing called foreshadow, uh, which is a slow trip from vision. So you, you get your two cards, but one of them you got to wait a little bit for. Other cool things. Uh, I, I really like renowned weaponsmith in this deck. Uh, so that's one in a blue for a human artificer, one three that taps for two colorless, but you can only spend this mana to activate uh, abilities of artifacts or cast artifact spells. So that's really cool because you can cast Renowned Weaponsmith on turn two. On turn three, uh, you can cast the Rally Chip and reconfigure, equip it to Renowned Weaponsmith. And then going forward, Renowned Weaponsmith also has this ability which nobody has ever used in the history of Commander, <laughs> uh, where, where you can pay blue and tap it to search your library for a card named Heartpiercer Bow or Vial of Dragonfire, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Like Those two cards that you can search for aren't really Commander playable, but uh, what you can do is just use it to shuffle whenever you don't like the top card that you're seeing with the reality shift. And I think that's a really neat use of him. Um, yeah, a little soldier of fortune. Yeah, there's just a lot of neat things going on in this deck. And then it has combo potential as well, because you, you may all be familiar with the future sight, Sensei's divining top, and like cost reduction effect combo. That works just fine here, except one of the combo pieces is in your command zone. So uh, you just get your Sensei's Divining Top and then like a Ethereum Sculptor or a Foundry Inspector or something like that. And then you can keep flipping the top, drawing a card, and then casting the top from the top of your library for free. You draw your entire deck. And uh, I guess you've got to figure out how to win with an empty library in mono blue. So good <laughs> luck with that. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it seems like a, a a really neat commander. We have a list in the episode description. Um, but one one last thing, sorry. One more thing I want to say is this is one of the rare monocolor decks that really wants fetch lands because if you don't like your top card, you can just crack your fetch and, and shuffle and find something better. I personally very much like mono blue gameplay, <laughs> like what blue does in commander. Um, and this is a very, very blue deck and you like, forces you to think about things in really interesting ways and like like what do you do when you just cast spells off the top of your library like what becomes good but can i read off this next card go for it this is junji the midnight sky they are a five five dragon spirit with flying and menace for five mana three black black uh, and they have a death trigger like the other dragons each opponent discards two cards and loses two life or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. You lose two life. Um, this seems very good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this seems like you can combo with it. This seems like it's doing a very, very mono black thing. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about specific tech with this guy. Sure. Um, so the... The life loss makes it a little challenging, and you're also um, challenged because there aren't that many like karmic guide esque creatures in mono black. Yeah. But there, so one way you can combo with this guy is if you have Junji and a Phyrexian Delver and a Life Chisel. So Phyrexian Delver is three black black for a three two zombie. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you 
basically reanimate or put a creature from your graveyard onto the battlefield under control. You lose life equal to its man, its uh, mana value. And then Life Chisel is a four mana artifact, and basically you can only activate it during your upkeep, but you can sacrifice a creature to gain life equal to its toughness. So if for some reason your opponents like decide to leave you with this visible combo on board all the way around the turn like around a turn cycle until you get back to your upkeep, then you can sack Junji to life chisel, gain five life, then lose two life from the ability. So you net three life. And then you can return the Phyrexian Delver from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then Phyrexian Delver is going to target Junji, get it back to the battlefield, and you lose five life. But when you sack the Phyrexian Delver, you gain two life. So the net total life loss is zero. And then if you have anything on the battlefield that that cares about creatures dying, you can just get that trigger over and over. Like if you have a Blood Artist in this case, then you would be able to drain the table. So that's something you can do. There's also a lot of non-infinite uh, things you can do. If you just have this looping with like a, a young necromancer or something, then, you know, you're, you're bounded by your life total and the number of cards in your, in your graveyard. But because you're losing so little of each one each time, you can still do it a lot. And that might be enough to net you, say, like a lot of cards off of a Midnight Reaper or something. Or, or There's plenty of things you can do that are powerful. Um, I, I will note that like the, the discard mode is also pretty strong if you farm it a lot. Like Just getting two triggers is going to wipe out the majority of your opponent's hands. It's, it's a lot of cards to be knocking out. Um, and also I think that Junji has a lot of potential in the main deck of lists with broader color identities. One thing that really stuck out to me is if you have Junji... And like a uh, basically any blue clone effect, you can play the clone, have it come in as a copy of Junji. The clone dies to the legend rule, and you get the clone's death trigger. But the thing is, uh, when the clone is in your graveyard, it's not a dragon. So with its own death trigger, you can bring it back to the battlefield and lose two life and just get a whole bunch of death triggers. You are bounded by losing two life every turn, so that may kill you eventually. But you can offset that if your deck is running a lot of like blood artifacts anyway. Or maybe the thing you're getting um, with all these death triggers and ETB triggers is valuable enough that it's uh, kind of worth it to keep doing this. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. But any thoughts on Genji? Yeah, um, I I just think that it's really cool. It seems like this is... Th- like. I'm trying to think of how to like say this. That it seems like another mono black commander. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like this isn't mean. carving out new space in particular, but it does give you cool ways to play with your black cards. And just for that alone, I like it. Also, it's just like good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it's a good body. It's a flying menace that deals commander damage. Uh, that can do this. Uh, so it blocks well. It attacks well. It has this crazy ability. So I think this is just a cool card. I've been very happy with this cycle um, so far. And uh, I think if you're good, I can move on to the Miogen of Grim Betrayal. Yes, go for it. So this is the Black Miogen. Uh, they are a 5-2 spirit for 8 mana. 
five black, black, black. Um, if you cast them from your hand, it enters with an indestructible counter, and you can remove the indestructible counter to put onto the battlefield under your control all creature cards in all graveyards that were put there from anywhere this turn. <laughs> so the first, I want to talk about the trigger before you get into tech, because this black one has a little bit more tech than the other Myogens, mm-hmm. especially if you want it to be your commander. But um, this is like... Every black wrath is probably fine. <laughs> yep. With this guy. This is like absolutely insane. Like I would be so worried to commit to the board if I was playing against an opponent with a Myogen of Grim Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's absolutely nuts. Um so I think this is definitely worth eight mana. Yeah, and it also helps that with a black color identity, it's a lot easier for you to find the ways to get it directly from the command zone to your hand. Yeah. So, like, you know, you've got a million tutors that can find a command beacon. You're also on color for Netherborn Altar, um, which, if you've forgotten what it does, is an artifact. Uh, It's one in a black. And it has tap, put a soul counter on Netherborn Altar, Put your commander into your hand from the command zone. Then you lose three life for each soul counter on Netherborn Altar. So originally designed so that you could um, play like, oh, what was it called? Hakon, Stromgald, Scourge. Yeah, and, and Phage the Untouchable. Phage the Untouchable. Uh, but it works really well here. And of course, you can tutor it out more easily than most other colors can. So Myogen is is a lot easier to work with than the other member or Myogen of Grim Betrayal is a lot easier to work with than the other members of the cycle. Um, in addition to, you know, having a lot of wraths, you can also uh, it's broad enough that you can sort of, you know, even if your opponent, say, like, looks at your Myogen of Grim Betrayal in the command zone is like, OK, maybe I don't just vomit out all my creatures onto the board this game. That's fine because you can also run a lot of board wipes or sorry, a lot of discard, a lot of milling effects. Um, There's certainly a lot of other ways to get creatures into graveyards so that Myogen can steal them. So um, I think it's a a, of the Myogens. This is or of the new cycle of Myogens is probably the most compelling one. Uh, I think it's pretty neat. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, And on that note, let's get into the next commander, which is. Nashi Moon Sages Scion. Mm-hmm. So uh this is a rat ninja, a three two for three mana, one black black, and they have ninjutsu, just just regular old ninjutsu for three and a black. Whenever Nashi Moon Sages Scion deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of each player's library. Until end of turn, you may play one of those cards. If you cast a spell this way, you pay life equal to its mana value rather than paying its mana cost. The alt art on Nashi is them riding this like cyber motorcycle, and that is what it feels like <laughs> when you hit with double strike <laughs> with this card. Mm-hmm. Just just getting all those cards off the top. Um, also, regular ninjutsu doesn't work from the command zone. So, um, yeah. sorry, everybody. <laughs> To me, like the fact that, you know, you can't ninjutsu from the command zone, the fact that, well, okay, okay, sorry. Let me get into some tech first. Um, So top of library tutors are naturally pretty good here. There's things like Cruel Tutor, Vampiric Tutor. uh, Scheming Symmetry is actually pretty solid here because you get to exile whatever your opponent puts on top. And, And as you mentioned, Double Strike seems pretty good. But I think overall, this is just 
maybe better as a main deck card and like a Yuriko deck. Um, yeah. It's a useful ninja, but I don't know. I think that well, like you're if, probably if, just going to combo. If this is your commander, you're probably just going to use it to cheat the mana cost on some really ex- something really expensive. Maybe like you're going to. I want to say, I want to ask you a question before we get into haymakers. You might want to play like if this didn't say ninjutsu on it, would you like it more or less? I, I would like it more. I, I think the same thing. Even if it had like death yeah, <laughs> or, or like, like menace. Yeah, anything else. Like this, it just seems like it's such a fail. Yeah. But yeah, like you can, it's pretty good at just cheating the mana cost on combo pieces. You could like maybe Cabal Conditioning for a lot or, or like Capital Punishment or, um, I don't know. There's there's plenty of busted stuff. There's a lot of creatures on the board. You could set up a, um, you could set up a decree of pain and just get a whole ton of value. I mean, maybe that'd be fun for you if you're really interested in uh, yeah like haymaker and magic. Yeah, you would. You you do need a little bit of life gain probably just so that like yeah you might cast a cool big splashy thing, but then like what you're at like twelve and your opponents all attack you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, probably need a little bit of life gain, or at least like some kind of uh, the opposite of sanguine bond, the blood, exquisite, oh, exquisite blood. blood. Yeah, something like that. To, like, yeah. Um, oh, uh, I guess other potential haymakers is like Vilas, or maybe like uh, Razaketh, or maybe like mm-hmm. Bolus's Citadel. Yeah, those all yeah. seem pretty good. Yeah. Um. So now we're into red. So this first red one is the dragon. This is at sushi right that's how you say that i believe so at sushi yeah the blazing sky yeah this is a four four dragon spirit for four mana two and two red they have flying and trample which is pretty cool and then they have the death trigger you pick one exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards or create three treasure tokens three of them yeah there's actually a lot of tech like first off like the the boo-boo prize of just getting two cards to play next turn. Like, that's fine. That's whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're picking treasure, whoo boy. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of options. Yeah. Um, so this is another of the dragons that works really well with Nim Death Mantle. Basically, all you need is like a Zorn or any sack outlet that generates mana. So that could be a Brexian altar, an Ashnod's altar, even a thermopod. Um, or Kirk Clan Ironworks also will work because you're making the treasure. Oh, great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. Um, although you would need like a separate sack outlet to kill the Atsushi. Um, oh, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking like a Goldspan Dragon also works. Oh, but you're yeah. Right. That is, that's a good point as well. Yeah. A Goldspan Dragon certainly helps out. So there's a lot of ways to to finagle it so that you're, you're like mana neutral or mana positive with Atsushi and um, Nim Death Mantle. And then you just need some way to uh, get a win condition out of a, something entering the battlefield and dying a whole bunch. So like Alter of the Root is fine. Dragon Tempest, I think, pings people. Uh, there, there's, you know, there's ways to do it. It's not that hard. And I, I think that's kind of like the shell of the deck. The, the most challenging part of it is going to be finding your Nim Death Mantle. Because like in a red color identity, Whereas, like, you know, AO, who's also kind of dependent on Nim Death Mantle, you've got all these white equipment tutors. Atsushi is going to have a, a more difficult time of it, I think. 
Yeah, uh, this is actually a really cool mono red deck to me. It, I, I'll have thoughts of on mono red. We can talk about in an episode that's not going to be four hours long. But um, <laughs> like it, it is interesting that they keep pushing mono red into like these combo spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do like that they've given red this like conversion like aspect to it, where like you can turn your guy into treasure and if you don't want your treasure you can turn your treasure into mana or maybe you can sack those treasure to like bring back a, another artifact from your graveyard and if you don't want that artifact you can sack it to draw a card and like this just constantly changing through things and like the ADD of red like mm-hmm. is really fun gameplay and so I think uh, Etsushi really builds into that in a really fun way yep um, so this next one is Goro Goro Disciple of Ryusei. This is a 2-2 Goblin Samurai for one and a red. Uh, and they have two abilities. Red, creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Three, red, red, create a 5-5 red Dragon Spirit creature token with flying. Activate only if you control an attacking modified creature. And so this is the first time we've come across modified. Modified means... Uh, a creature you control with an equipment on it, an aura you control on it, or counters. So plus one, plus one counters, indestructible counters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, where are you on Goro Goro? This guy uh, is—he's a go-getter. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty low. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, like I, I really like haste granting sort of as a bonus on red commanders. Uh, you know when they already have other things going on and like you just want to give them a little boost of power or just make them a little bit more interesting uh you know haste as like a static effect haste granting as a static effect cool great i love it um but i don't love it when it's the only thing the card has going for it and that's kind of what i see happening here like i'm not uh really keen like like sure if i have infinite mana then making infinite five fives is cool, I guess. But like, you know, if I just wanted to win with infinite mana, there's so many commanders that can do more for me. Um, I just don't really find this to be a super interesting commander. Yeah, I I will double that. I'll say that um, at first glance, I don't think this is really cool. Like, I don't know what's going on with me right now. Like, so Krenko, like 2.0 has been like really interesting with me on like historic brawl. I think Goro Goro is going to be interesting too and kind of fun, but like, I'm wondering if like someday in the future, like the challenge of playing with like a bad mono red commander will draw me to this guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like, like not that he's very powerful, but that it's just like, we keep, getting staples in mono red like uh like uh just because will and and stuff like that like eventually mono red is just gonna be good enough and at that point in commander am i gonna want to play a goro goro over like a jessica and dargo like maybe i don't know (laughs) i don't know like so yeah I, i agree with you i think he's pretty not powerful this is definitely looks like a 60 card or like a brawl card but I don't know. Someone might be into that. Someone might just love uh, Dragon Nest, and this is kind of a better Dragon Nest in your command zone. So, Dragon Nest being an enchantment that you can spend seven to make a five-five flying red dragon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next card is Heiko Yamazaki, the General. Um, so you might have noticed we talked about another Yamazaki earlier. So these are the Yamazaki sisters. 
Um, and this is a direct throwback to the Yamazaki brothers. They do not have partner. People joke that you can like rule zero. They have partners with to make like a Boros deck. And the art is a panorama. So they both are like, if you put the cards next to each other, it connects. So that's cool. But what does Heiko do? Uh, they are a 3-3 trample. They're a human samurai for four mana, three and a red. And whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, you may cast target artifact card from your graveyard this turn. I think it's really funny that it's target. Mm-hmm. That's that's like really interesting to me. It's like someone can like just nab whatever you're going to get <laughs> with <laughs> graveyard hate with a withered wretch or something like that. It's really strange. Yeah. Um, so the I guess like the obvious combo piece is mind slaver like casting mind slaver every turn is is generally pretty good of course that's a huge amount of mana i think there's more efficient win conditions available to heiko um so one neat thing is like moon silver key is able to um is able to get like multiple combo pieces so if you like are able to recur your moon silver key you can get both halves of like a combo like Basalt Monolith and Forsaken Monument, which will generate infinite colorless mana for you. Um, Memory Jar seems like a neat thing to to get, just like constant, not only filling your graveyard with additional targets, but also getting you a new grip of cards temporarily. Um, And then also another sort of one card combo is Scrapyard Recombiner. So Scrapyard Recombiner is... Well, I guess it doesn't matter that much. It's it's three mana for a construct with modular two, and you can tap, sacrifice an artifact to search your library for a construct and put it into your hand, then shuffle. So Scrapyard Recombiner gets both Metalworker, which is a construct, and Voltaic Construct, which has been eroded to be a construct. Um, and that's another source of infinite colorless mana. Uh, and then I guess... You probably, well, I guess you probably also want to run Walking Ballista because that is another construct you can get, which can then be an outlet for your infinite gullless mana. Uh, but those are some of the things I was thinking about. Um, I've got a list in the episode description for you if you just want to see what a Heiko list might look like. Yeah, I really like that this card, um, like, does the, you can Faithless looting away your artifacts early. Um, and and even things like your dark steel plate or whatever you want to put on Heiko to like make sure that they can stay an attacking samurai mm-hmm. <laughs> once a turn. Um, I, I like that that plays into what Red is doing like so well. So definitely really cool. Um, and another just kind of banger, uncommon commander. This is great. So the Myojin of Roaring Blades is a seven four spirit for eight mana, five red red red. They enter the battlefield if you cast it from your hand with an indestructible counter, and you can remove that counter to deal seven damage to up to three targets. Um, so 21 damage for eight mana doesn't seem too bad to me. Um, it it it's, seems too it's, bad to me. <laughs> it seems like it's not something I want my commander to do. You know, like I might spend eight mana on a spell to like like destroy three things so i can continue my game plan but like 
if this is all my game plan was, was spend eight mana <laughs> to deal. Some... Well, also remember, <laughs> you're not spending eight mana. Like, un- unless you happen to luck into drawing your command beacon. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you're spending eight mana, and then you're somehow bouncing it in mono red, and then you're spending another eight mana. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that is definitely true. So, I mean, really, like, this card seems like a role player maybe if you want big stupid splashy stuff but even then like you're not cheating it it's like incredibly fair it's just a seven four so i I don't know what list wants this card and i don't really know what i would do with this list other than the like tech we've already talked about when it comes to the myogens like definitely i would play like a seething song to get it out early or some stupid Mm -hmm. thing but like yeah i'm not (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I would ever cast this without the two mana instinct of a maternity like up to like bounce it again or like the erratic portal to like save it from a wrath so I don't have to pay like 10 mana plus to put it back in my hand again, you know? <laughs> yeah, it seems miserable. I- I'm ready to move on to the next commander. Yeah, let's do it. We're in green now. Do you want, do you want me to read this off or do you want to read it? Uh, I got it. Yeah. So, so this is Kodama of the West Tree. It is the final Kodama. Uh, two and a green for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature spirit with reach. Modified creatures you control have trample. And as a reminder, modified means it's got an equipment, an aura you control, or a counter on it. And whenever a modified creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Uh, this is a pretty powerful commander, um, I was thinking like if you have it in the command zone and you're casting it on turn three every game, then what you probably want to be doing is running as many creatures as possible that can come down on turns one and two uh, and like instantly and sort of come down as modified creatures so that they can swing on turn three and get you a an explosive vegetation on turn three and then again on turn four. And then by turn five, you're going to have like eight or nine mana. You can just, you can just try to win the game. Yeah. Like it, <laughs> in my goldfishing, it hasn't been that hard to curve one into two into Kodama, get my two lands next turn, play some more creatures, get some more lands, and then just like cast a tutor and a crater hoof. Mm, maybe not kill everyone, but kill somebody. Kill whoever you're most afraid of. <laughs> no, um, I mean, you might you might be able to kill like a few people depending on what you draw and de- yeah, whatnot, depending. You know? So that has that seems like a pretty solid thing to do. Honestly, just like idiots like Arcbound Stinger and Aqua Strand Spider, or like that that one design they keep coming back to, like the the one in a G one one that puts a counter on something when it enters the battlefield. Those are all just like fine because. They, yeah, they they look terrible, but they represent rampant growths and and like rampant growths that go off every turn. Um, so this is a we've got a link to a list in the episode description. Check that out if you're interested in building around Kodama the West Tree. Spoiler alert: Green doesn't get all of the best monocolor commanders. This <laughs> <laughs> this next one is okay. This is Kura the Boundless Sky. Um, well. I say okay, and I, I lied. Um, so Kura the Boundless Guy is a 4-4 dragon spirit with flying and death touch 
for five mana, three green green, and they have the death trigger. Choose one, search your library for up to three land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle, or create an XX green spirit creature token where X is the number of lands you control. So there are like a couple land based combos or just like lands that work really well together. You could think about running in Kura. Um, so like, you know, Gaia's Cradle and Deserted Temple represents a whole mess of mana. Uh, Cloud Post, Vesuva and Thespian Stage means that each, you know, you get three Cloud Posts that each tap for three mana. You can get Tron. You get like Thespian Stage and Dark Depths to make a, um, to just really easily get yourself a Merit Lage token. Uh, yeah, those are all things you can do. Um, what are your your thoughts on these? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like every few years there's a card that's printed, uh, starting with Prime Time with uh, Primeval Titan, that people go, "Oh, I can play Tron and Commander now." Um, and this is the first time that I think it's actually like true. Do I want to play Kura because I can play Tron and Commander, like Urza Tron and Commander? Um, no, <laughs> no, probably not. I mean, I I do get all three of them, um, and I can get whatever land. So you're right; it does definitely work with land combo. I think that appeals to somebody. But like, Titania has existed and is like way more proactive in regards to like land based shenanigans in mono green. So mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think Kura is um, carving out a ton of new space, even if it does let you do something in a new way in green. And on that note, do you want to talk about the green Myojin? Sure. Uh, this is Myojin of Towering Might. It is five green, green, green for an 8-8 legendary creature spirit. It enters the battlefield with an indestructible counter if you cast it from your hand. And you can remove that counter to distribute eight plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. They gain trample until end of turn. Uh, so obviously you're going to run your command beacon. You're going to run your Sanct of, of Eternity. Uh, Road of Return is a card you get access to in a green color identity, which is green green for a sorcery. Uh, choose one, return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand, or put your commander into your hand from the command zone. It has entwined for two. So this is a way to make it a little bit easier to to get your Myogen or with an indestructible counter. And also because you're on green, you have access to some more land tutors. So it's a little bit easier to find your command beacon. But even if you do those things, this commander seems really lackluster. Like we we got Kamal 3.0 in Commander Legends, who is just, you know, the same cost, but provides a set plus three plus three to everything at the beginning of combat is and also like provides you the opportunity to play with other colors uh this is just really underwhelming compared to existing options yeah uh i do think the the one thing this has going over the other myogens is that like you will get to eight mana in your mono green deck uh, and that's it <laughs> yep. you know like like uh not much to be said here over what we said on the other ones and what you just said now so um if you're good uh i can read off this next Okay, this is our last mono green commander. Oh yes, go for it. So this is Shigeki Jukai Visionary. So this is a 1-3 legendary enchantment creature snake druid for two mana, one and a green. 
they have one green tap return shigeki to its owner's hand reveal the top four cards of your library you may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped put the rest into your graveyard and then they have channel xx green green discard shigeki return x target non-legendary cards from your graveyard to your hand how do you feel about this I'm a big fan of this commander. Um, so there's some interesting things going on. Uh, it's really, really rare that we see a card that allows you to return multiple cards from your graveyard to your hand without exiling itself. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so that opens up some pretty cool lines of play. Notably, there are some combos that you could potentially do with Early Harvest, which is one green green for an instant target player untaps all basic lands they control or you can try to combo with rude awakening which is four and a green for sorcery choose one untap all lands you control or until end of turn lands you control are two two creatures that are still lands and you can entwine it for two and a green so basically if you have enough mana and and we're talking like 12 to 14 mana uh what you can do is you can cast your Root Awakening, um, or actually, I'll say it this way. Cast your Root Awakening, you got your Root Awakening graveyard. Use Shigeki to get back Root Awakening and like a regrowth effect. And then you can regrow your Shigeki, and then you can just cast your Root Awakening again. Uh, assuming your regrowth costs two mana, then if you have you know 12 mana for early harvest or 14 mana for root awakening you can net one mana on each cycle and so that's a way to generate infinite mana and there's and not only like regrowth effects because there aren't that many of them but anything that says like like a nature spiral effect return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand that'll get back shigeki there's a couple green cards that just say return target creature from your graveyard to your hand that works too and there's also some things that cost more than two mana but provide some other effect. Like a Pulse of Marasa will give you six life as you're going through this loop. So even if you're, you're net zero on mana, Pulse of Marasa is going to give you infinite life when you're going through this cycle. And of course, if you have more than you know 12 mana, you can get infinite life, infinite, infinite mana, whatever. It's worth noting that... You know, you're in a green color identity. It is really hard to find instants and sorceries like Early Harvest or Root Awakening. But um, because this combo is centered around recursion anyway, it's it's totally fine to just mill into the combo. So Mesmeric Orb is really good in this deck. Uh, in my list, I'm running a ton of cards like Mulch or Winding Way or Grapple with the Past. Just these things that like dig in through your library and they probably like cantrip or give you a card or two but they also just put a, a respectable chunk of your library into the graveyard because the more you do that and the more you recur these types of spells with shigeki uh the closer you are to getting your um your combo pieces and, and just like going through the loops of like Shigeki get back a regrowth and one other and like a, a digging card and then cast my digging card and then regrow my Shigeki. That's fine. Like you're, you're drawing cards, you're finding productive things to do with your mana. Uh, that's all pretty good. And you're in, and, and it's also worth noting that, yeah, like 
I mentioned earlier, you need like 12 or 14 mana to combo off with Shigeki. Um, you're on color for Nissa Who Shakes the World, for Vernal Bloom, for Mana Reflection, um, for Dictative Karametra, Heartbeat of Spring, Gauntlet of Power, Cage Sun. There's a decent, and I guess like Keeper of Progenitus, there's a decent number of ways to have the, the amount of lands you're going to need on the battlefield. But also, like your Shigeki loops can involve getting back ramp spells. So getting back like three visits or nature's lore or sky shroud claim. And like, once you have enough of these mana doublers on the battlefield, like three visits, uh, starts to net mana. Like there's a point where it becomes a mana neutral and then it starts to actually increase your mana every single time. Um, it's just a, a really fun rampy style of deck. We've got a link to a list in the episode description. If you want a goldfish with, with this thing, it's really fun. Um, it's a, uh, it's a pretty unique mono green deck. Yeah. That's pretty much what I was going to say. Like as a commander, I think this is a pretty cool mono green deck, but you've enumerated the reasons why I think this is really cool. Just in general, I think like the play of like a bounce activated ability into like a channel activated ability on a creature slash enchantment, which is pretty easy. Like, Green and white have a lot of ways to get those back from the graveyard. Like, I, I think this is just cool and fun to play, and I'm really excited to play with this guy, uh, both index and uh, probably on just cockatrice with my friends. You know, like, like this guy seems really cool. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, I'm I'm interested in seeing like the main deck place it or like the the other decks in the format that would be interested in running Shigeki in the main deck. That's something I haven't fully explored, but. You know, if you all listening to this have ideas, let us know. Reach out to us. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is just by nature of like, there's only so many options. I know I'm going to put this in my like, oops, all enchantments deck um, just because it ramps and like returns enchantments back. I can regrow sagas. Uh, I can get him back very easily. So that's really cool. Um, it also like if you have like a Sithis deck, like it ramps you with Sithis and then like you can draw cards with it because it puts itself back in your hand. So you have mm-hmm. this weird mini like card draw thing going on there. So it, I think this card's just really cool. The, what they did with this is like the effect is very fair, but it's a tool that we haven't had before. So it's fun to play with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we are into the multicolor commander. So this first one, this is in Azorius. This is a blue-white commander called Tameshi Reality Architect. Uh, they only cost two and a blue. They are a 2-3 Moonfolk Wizard with whenever one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Then they have X-White, return a land you control to its owner's hand, return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, activate only as a sorcery so um initially when i first saw tameshi i was like oh cool i can play boomerang and commander and not feel bad and then we like kept talking about it and we were like oh it's cool that they have the moon folk like bounce a land thing and then we kept talking about it and we're like oh oh (laughs) (laughs) oh gee (laughs) like it just the, it was like a very deep well. So do you want to talk about some stuff that uh, you got you got brewing for Tameshi? <laughs> yeah, this uh, commander is pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So there's a couple things that you can do with this really easily. Um, notably, because it allows you to bounce lands, it's uh, it works really, really well with uh, Mystic Sanctuary. So if you are going for a combo list, uh, you just need to run like the time warp effects that don't exile themselves and a Mystic Sanctuary, and then you can, oh, I will bounce my Mystic Sanctuary and draw a card. I replay my Mystic Sanctuary. I put my time warp on top of my library. I draw it next turn. I, you know, you, you go from there. Um, so that's just like so, some like long game like inevitability that it just naturally has access to in terms of what you're doing up until then like the fact that it uh you know draws you a card whenever something gets bounced to hand it works i mean it's super easy just to fill your deck with a whole bunch of bounce spells and yeah it unfortunately doesn't work on creatures but if you're going through and like bouncing your opponents like mana ramp like their worn power stones or whatever um and netting cards while you do it and and doing this like multiple times per round of turns uh that's just a huge tempo advantage against your opponents um you can also do things like play etb creatures and then bounce your own etb creatures and like draw cards and so like you're reusing your skyclave apparition or something um there's if you wanted to like it's good at i mean it, it's great at reusing artifacts and enchantments so if you want to keep blowing things up with seal of cleansing if you want to search out a bunch of different mana rocks with your moon silver key you can do that one thing that's pretty neat is um like drawing cards when you play a bounce land is just feels amazing like you're you're yeah. basically <laughs> it, it feels so good you're, you're like drawing two cards um <laughs> also uh swapping between um you can swap between like artifact lands, so or rather like you can get artifact lands from your graveyard onto the battlefield. So that kind of mitigates the cost of bouncing a land and makes it so you can just draw a card off of your your trigger. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh you can reuse Urza Saga a whole bunch because it's a land and, and you can get out of your graveyard and it's enchantment and uh, there's just so much, so much you can do with this deck. Uh, it's, yeah. it has a lot going on. This is like the tip of the iceberg too. Like th- this is only looking at like a few ways and a few interactions. Like I think the thing about Tameshi that is kind of upsetting to me is that like Tameshi looks like he promises like so much. Like look at all these various ways to interact. But in my heart, I know that the best way is still co- like control into combo finish. <laughs> like like. And he allows you to do that so well. Like he can stacks you so hard. Um, oh yeah, Let, let's mention um, like the some of the best things to do in this deck are like overburden. Yeah, uh, which is one in the blue for an enchantment. Whenever a player uh, or whenever a creature enters the battlefield under an, a player's control, that player bounces a land. Uh, and then mana breach is whenever a player casts a spell, that player returns a land to their hand. Uh, and that's two in a blue for an enchantment. So these are just some of the best things because they're going to trigger on your opponent's turns without you really having to put any effort into it. It will draw you cards in the process and it will just really, really slow down your opponents. Um, yeah, it's uh, not 
I would not say this leads to the most fun gameplay of all the commanders we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely one of the more powerful commanders that we have talked about today. But like, yeah, definitely kind of upset that like Tameshi is so brutal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and can lead to like so many unfun games. And, And I guess that's like the point I would want to make about Tameshi, if anything, is that like they keep printing commanders that like on the surface to like a casual player like offer some kind of fun incentive look you can bounce things and draw cards and then in practice like the game becomes terrible and i wish that they would stop doing that (laughs) well i think like you could have fixed this commander relatively Mm -hmm, easily easily. by adding by adding a single word like if it said uh if it only triggered off of bouncing things to your hand yeah that would you know you know, it'd prevent like the the overburden, the mana breach. It would prevent like, oh, I'm going to bounce all of your things forever and and maintain card parity while doing so. Yeah. Um, and it would it it still would have that problem where you could um, you know, time warp with uh with Mystic Sanctuary, but that's like slow enough, and it's something you got to assemble. And I think that's okay as just like this deck has a finisher eventually, but it just kind of dirtle for a bit until then. I think mm-hmm. that's fine but yeah yeah the, it's the like the messing with your opponent's half of the card that really seems not super fun to play against yep yep that's where i'm at too um so i mean still a crazy commander you can do a lot of crazy stuff with tameshi yeah um unlike our next commander <laughs> oh yeah oh is... yeah sorry and i will say there is a link to a tameshi list in the episode description so check yes. that out yeah you can see what just heinous things you can get afoot to but our next commander, yeah, not not nearly as much to say about uh, this next one. This is uh, Katose, the Silent Spider. I'm pretty sure I said that right. Please yell at me on the internet if I did not. Um, this is a 4-4 human ninja for 5 mana, 3 blue-black. And they have this big ETB ability. When Katose, the Silent Spider, enters the battlefield, exile, card, uh, exile target card in an opponent's graveyard other than a basic land. Search that player's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with that name. Uh, exile them. That player shuffles. For as long as you control Katose, you may play one of the exiled cards and you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to do so. So you, um, it's a lot of words I just said. Basically, you spend five mana to Katose. Uh, she enters the battlefield. You exile a card in a graveyard and then you get to cast it uh, as long as you control Katose. That, and because it's Commander, you get to look through their library, but you don't get to exile any other cards because the singleton format, this doesn't seem good to me. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty weak. Uh, it seems like it's maybe intended for 60-card formats. This is just an inc- a huge number of words, but so little value. Yeah, even for... in 60-card, I feel like it's not that much value. Yeah, this is uh, like, you know, I don't know what you would want to do with this card that you couldn't do better with a different commander. If you want to do ninjas, there's options for that. If you want to do uh, like playing with your opponent's cards, there's much better options for that. Um, Yeah, I don't find this to be very compelling. I feel like this could have just been a card in the set and not a legendary creature, you know? Oh, totally agree. Yeah. And, And it would have been fine and the format would be just fine. Yeah, there's um, already a, a rare blue-black ninja in the set, which we're going to talk about next. Right now, and their name is Satoru Umazawa. They are a 2-4 human ninja for 3 mana, 1 blue-black. 
Uh, and they have, whenever you activate an Injitsu ability, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Uh, this ability triggers only once each turn. And then they say each creature card in your hand has ninjutsu uh, of two blue black. So four mana to ninjutsu anything out of your hand. And then whenever you ninjutsu something, you get a card. Yep. So yeah. granting things ninjutsu means cheating stuff into play. And there is a lot of really messed up stuff to cheat into play. Um, yeah. <laughs> So blight steel, like you know, one shot kill. That's probably, I mean, it's probably the best one. Yeah. Um, but also just things like just like back breaking haymakers, like Toxril, uh, Jingataxius, Core Augur, Shield Red, Nezahal. There's plenty. I mean, you got your pick of just messed up things to cheat into play as early as turn four. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. Um, yeah, I love that it's turn four. I love that this curves into itself so well. I love commanders that do that. Um, I just think this is really fun. Um, I think you don't have to blight steal someone to have fun with Seitaru. I think that th this is definitely going to be like... Uh, I don't think this is like necessarily CEDH playable, but I think your friends are going to make fun of you saying that this is a cedh deck if you <laughs> play it in mm -hmm. the casual meta it is very strong uh, and it reminds me of we just recently did the one and done episode so um this oh, yeah, to me seems, seems like something like kill on site yeah this to me seems like a deck i would make have a blast with one time and then take it apart <laughs> yeah either because like i i did it and my opponents were like extremely sad about yeah. <laughs> their their four turn game or everyone just killed it every time it came down because they knew how bad it could potentially be. I know, it's so funny. This next commander has like just grown on me over time. If you're good to mm -hmm. move on, so this is Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos, um, one of the few characters that ex has existed for twelve hundred years on Kamigawa. Mm -hmm. um, this is a four-four ogre demon for four mana, three and a black. Um, they have black, sacrifice a creature, scry two, and they have two red tap. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. When you exile a non-land card this way, Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos deals damage equal to the exile card's mana value to any target. Yeah, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. It's just like a big value commander, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, I actually think like doming something for nine or 16 or whatever it is. like." is pretty fun <laughs> yeah what really sold me on it is because like you know i typically really undervalue direct damage is just the fact that because this is a black color identity you're on color for a lot of infect granters and Ooh, if you put like yeah. a phyresis on this and then you hit somebody for 10 yeah uh well that's actually pretty darn good and then another thing that kind of appealed to me is because this is a black red color identity, you can run uh, like a Rakdos Lord of Riots in your main deck, and then you like dome somebody for 10 with Hidetsugu, revealing like a Kozilek Butcher of Truth, and then you just cast the Kozilek for free because of your Rakdos. So that seemed pretty solid to me. Yeah. No, I mean, like all of that, all of the above. I, I 
I do think this is a cool card. I think a four mana commander is the perfect spot to like start doing heinous stuff like this. And Rakdos has been getting some like bangers the last mm-hmm. few sets, so I'm I'm pretty excited. Um, yeah, I would just make sure to run lots of like library manipulation, top of library tutors, that kind of stuff. Scroll rack, whatever. Mm, yeah, definitely. I really don't have much more to say about this. Do you want to move on to the next commander? Yeah, let's go for it. So this is Setsuki, the Living Lore. This is a one three legendary creature human druid for green and white. Uh, they have tap, put a lore counter on each saga you control, activate only as a sorcery. And when Setsuki, the Living Lore, dies, choose up to one. Return target saga or enchantment you control to its owner's hand or return target saga card from your graveyard to your hand. So bounce a thing or regrow a thing. How do you, how do you feel about this? I'm pretty low on it. Um, well, with the caveat that it could become better over time. Like the, I think the issue right now is that there are only 23 sagas in this color identity, and a lot of them are just very not commander playable. So there's like, you know, seven, six that you'd be pretty stoked about uh, messing around with your lore counters with the Satsuki. Um, but for the most part, not, not ultra keen on it yeah and we'll we'll talk about like some of the new ones in this episode that are really exciting or cool yeah i will say it is pretty cool that a couple of the ones you do want to play with uh happen to synergize with satsuki so you know satsuki has two mana value so you can reanimate it with an elspeth conquers death the the final chapter you can also reanimate it with the um oh what is it like the the something Iganjo, the the terrible white ramp spell that we're going to dunk on later. Oh, yeah, the rebuilding Iganjo or something like that. Uh, That is the one, the restoration of Iganjo. Restoration. Yeah, yeah. So there is like some self-synergy with some of the good um, sagas you're going to be running anyway. Um, So that's that's not bad. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, over time, this card's going to get better it's gonna take literal years it's gonna be like six years before this card is like at the same kind of power level as other cards yeah i'd say like yeah just put a post-it note on the bottom of your screen now or on like your car's dashboard and by the time that like the sun has bleached it to the point where it's a completely white post-it note after starting out as yellow that's probably when satsuki will be good yeah (laughs) there you go so, yeah, moving on to the next commander. This is one of the uncommon ones from the set. This is Naomi, Pillar of Order. They are a 4-4 human advisor for 5 mana, 3 white black. And they have, whenever Naomi, Pillar of Order enters the battlefield or attacks, if you control an enchantment, an artifact, uh, then you make a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. So... You have your five mana commander, you have your enchantment, you have your artifact, you get your two two. Um wow, that's a real powerhouse right there, right? <laughs> that's really no, I I'm I mean I I think I'm going to enjoy playing with Naomi in limited and that is it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's incredibly difficult to assemble like an artifact and an enchantment. I think there's you know, like plenty of uh decent effects that you're you're happy to stuff into a deck. But also, I just don't. This reward sucks. This is, <laughs> I, I'm not interested. 
Like I can get this a lot better if I if I want tokens, I can get that in black white, no problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I kind of feel the same way. I think like a five mana commander should just give me the token mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of making me jump through an extra hoop, even if the hoop is like fairly easy. So, um, yeah, whatever. Um, moving mm-hmm. on to the next one, if you're good with that. Yep. Um, so this is another white black commander. So Grease Fang is a four three rat pilot for three mana, one white black. At the beginning of combat on your turn, return target vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of your next end step. Um, so I actually think this is kind of cool. Like, there's a lot of vehicles that like just die. <laughs> like you can just block them and they die, but they give you a lot of value. And then just period, there's a lot of vehicles that have like crew four that do some pretty heinous stuff. And a three mana four power commander pilots those pretty good. Yeah, I was thinking like um you know, Parhelion two. Sorry, not not the first Parhelion. Yeah. Um <laughs> that is if you can like have a discard outlet or an entomb effect and get it into your yard, that seems like a really awesome thing to start swinging with starting on turn, I guess turn three uh that that seems pretty sweet there's also there's also sky sovereign consulate dreadnought that is also pretty powerful to get swinging early yeah i think i think that the main issue with this card is just the lack of good like real haymaker vehicles and also the lack of good entomb effects like unmarked grave is not going to get you either a parhelion or a sky sovereign and um really you're you're dependent on entomb or or what's or vile entomber mm-hmm. or just like lucking into getting it into your hand and, and discarding it um so that's i think the limiting factor i think if we now that vehicles are deciduous and assuming we get some some interesting powerful ones going forward this commander is just going to get better as it is right now it seems like consistency might be a problem yeah, I feel like I'm mesmeric orb, like some of the normal like self mill stuff, like helps out because you're basically drawing cards as you do that. Um, so I, I think this deck is fun. It it's definitely a different take on vehicles. I've, we've seen a few different vehicle commanders, um, that weren't like didn't say vehicle on them, but I think this is the first time that we've seen a commander that says vehicle that like is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, or at least it's the first one in this podcast that we're going to talk about, like today, that deals with vehicles and is good because there, there's a few more vehicle things going on, especially in the commander decks that we'll get to next week. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a fan of Greasefang. I think Greasefang's just going to get better over time. And um, good name, and, yeah, it's a great name, and that all the arts are pretty cool, and it's funny that your motorcycle rat is going to pilot your like hot rod over and over again <laughs> into their defenses is pretty funny mm-hmm. um that said do you want to move on to this boros commander yes uh, i can read this one off this yeah. is reyu storm's edge it is two red white for a three three legendary creature human samurai it has first strike and whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone untap it if it's the first combat phase of the turn there is an additional combat phase after this phase Seems like a, a heck of a Voltron commander. What, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, this is great. This is crazy. Um, 
The one thing, so there, there's a lot of tech that we can mention for this, but it's kind of nerfed by the fact that they realized uh, the weakness of, or uh, they, they put a word in there that like makes us not as like infinite as Goto does. So if it's the first combat phase of the turn is the thing, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff you can do in other commanders or other cards that like give you extra combats on attack or whatever um, that go infinite. And they made sure that this guy doesn't, that said, like, there's a lot of stuff you can do with two combats. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take a lot of power to kill someone outright with a commander if you have like two combats and perhaps double strike. Yeah, if you just give them like plus three power and double strike, that is enough to kill somebody in one turn. Uh so I'm okay if I'm not going infinite with my combat steps, if you know, like eliminating a player is is a pretty decent booby prize mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh, i also like that this does give you like double up on like attack triggers in general um your morag gets better etc cetera, etc cetera, stuff like that uh, well, well we've got the real like i mean if you're if you're interested in attack triggers we've got an upcoming commander that you're really gonna. Like. oh yeah 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 for sure for sure I, I just feel like i have to mention it here if you're gonna build <laughs> right because there's definitely i have things to say about ryu that uh need the context of the next uh attack commander mm-hmm. to make sense so we have another boros commander i think both of us are gonna not talk about for too long this is risona asari commander um so, Risona Asari Commander is a 3-3 human samurai with haste for 3 mana, 1 red-white. They have, whenever Risona deals combat damage to a player, if it doesn't have an indestructible counter on it, put an indestructible counter on it. And whenever combat damage is dealt to you, remove an indestructible counter from Risona. So, if you hit them, it's indestructible. If you get hit, she loses indestructible. Um, that that's it that's the game what's what what do we do with this uh so one thing that was pretty interesting it was mentioned by uh tomer from mtg goldfish uh, was nesting grounds so this is a land that taps for colorless and you can pay one and tap it to move a counter from target permanent you control onto another target permanent you can activate it only anytime you cast a sorcery um so that is pretty sweet because, you know, Rasona is a way to farm indestructible commanders. And if you put a, an indestructible counter on like a Navinural's disc or a boom pile, a mages of the disc, then you just have this, uh, in, in like a death star, basically you can blow up everything every turn. Um, that seems really cool. The, the only issue is that you're not in a great color identity for finding non-basic lands. You've got your expedition map and you have your weathered wayfarer and then that's kind of it. Um yeah. <laughs> I mean yep. I guess you could gamble for it, um but you're you're really limited in how likely you're going to be able to find that in most games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this doesn't seem like a very like compelling commander to me. You know, like okay, I could some games I get my nesting grounds, I do the thing. Um, I can wrath. I still have my commander around, but like I, I still have to get in there with Rizona, Um So making sure I can get in there every turn seems like important. Um, this deck can run a higher density of like the wraths or like deal damage to all creature spells because like 
you can kind of count on your commander having indestructible uh hopefully <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? I, yeah also but, just like regular wraths yeah it has to be damage based yeah you know that yeah that's what i'm saying like you can like attack like if you as long as she has the counter on her you can day a judgment so however you get in there to day a judgment wrath of god whatever like, yeah it's fine sure Th- okay. that element of the card doesn't seem like super novel like we had uh tajik 1.0 yeah. previously mm-hmm. yeah exactly i I, yeah. I really don't think there's like a lot to say we've already talked about this card a lot. okay all right moving on moving on <laughs> um this next one is ishin two heavens as one uh this is red white black for a three four legendary creature human samurai if a creature attacking causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time. Uh, whoo! Yeah, this is a pretty good one. Oh um, yeah, it comes down uh, super early, and then there's just a, a lot, lot, lot of tech that you can run with him. Um, so I ended up building this as sort of like a tokens list. There's a decent number of um, of like creatures that generate tokens when they attack. So like, you know, you got your your Brimaz, you got your uh you've got your Delina Wild Mage, Fireflux Squad, or actually not Fireflux Squad, uh Goblin Trap Runner, um Handwear Garrison making four attacking humans every combat seems really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um there's also like Battle Cry is a trigger that happens on attack, so that works really well. Um just getting a plus two plus oh bonus to your other attacking creatures when you send your your two cost a quarter paladin sideways is great there there's i mean honestly there's there's so many things shared animosity triggering triggering multiple times in a token deck where a lot of creatures do share a type yeah that was the one i wanted to talk about because that is absolutely insane (laughs) yeah um gosh like fervent charge whenever a creature you control attacks it gets plus two plus two until end of turn for four mana one and mardu um Mardu Ascendancy. Whenever a non-token creature you control attacks, create a 1-1 goblin that's tapped and attacking. Uh, there's just many, many, many things that work really well with Ishin. Yeah, and this is on top of like the you could play like a Curse of Opulence or a Curse of Disturbance. You could play like a Sword of the Animist. You could play like like so many. You could play things. a Winota, join our forces. Yeah, exactly. So so it it turns like kind of generic draft chaff like an honored crop captain uh, which is a three two for red white human warrior when it attacks other attacking creatures get plus one plus oh like all of a sudden your two drop is pumping your team plus two plus oh and that's like so fast and so good (laughs) like yeah absolutely insane and that that's not even to mention like the benefit of extra combat steps with this commander just like stacking more and more value and more and more pump on all of your creatures very just seems uh very strong yeah very good this guy's very good and and kind of in the context of uh of ryu as we're just talking about ryu storm's edge like this guy just blows ryu out of the water just Mm -hmm. absolutely insane. like goto in this deck is um absolutely nuts you know like like absolutely bonkers uh and if you can like flicker him if you have like a sort of hearth and home 
or like a haste grinner or something like that. Like that's another thing you can do because um, Goto is going to get you those triggers over and over again. And it turns out Ishin is a samurai, so it can trigger Goto. Like it's just a lot. There's a lot going on. It's really cool. There's a lot of different ways to build this. Um, it's a very, very deep well of things you can do with it. Like we're going to see Ishin decks that like focus on different aspects for years to come. You know, like it's it's just going to be a staple commander i think well speaking of commanders that can be built a lot of different ways yeah, <laughs> yeah. um uh, yeah go for it uh let's talk about hinata the dawn crowned or actually just nova hinata dawn crowned uh one blue red white for a four four legendary creature kirin spirit it has flying and trample and spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target Spells your opponent's cast cost one less or one more to cast for each target. Uh, so you probably have like you know if you've been paying attention to magic stuff, you probably have uh, seen some of the more busted uses already. But we'll just go over them here. Basically, any yeah. X spell that has X targets, you just don't have to pay the X. Um, <laughs> yeah. So things like that, you know, s- stuck out to me are like distorting wake. Uh, X blue 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 sorcery return X target non land permanence to their owner's hands. So it's a, I mean it's a cyclonic rift for three mana. Um, you could curse of the swine X blue blue for sorcery exile X target creatures for each creature exiled this way. Its controller creates a two two green board creature token. Um, things like, gosh, um, Heliod's intervention. Uh, destroy X target artifacts or enchantments uh, for X white white. Your all, all of these. There's not a huge number of things like this, but there's enough that like if you cast that, you'll see you know probably one or two of them during a game, and they just swing the the value of the game enormously when they resolve. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really fun. A lot of the cards that have multiple targets that you don't like think about as having multiple targets that just become insane mm-hmm. um and and the first one i guess is like that my brain was like oh my god volcanic offering costs one mana because <laughs> <laughs> you're targeting something your opponent targets something you're targeting something your opponent targets something it's a five mana instant so for one red you blow up two lands and blow up two creatures holy cow the other one that like really got me too was sublime epiphany because it's pretty much always costs blue-blue. Uh, because you're probably going to counter a spell or an ability. You're probably going to return a non-land permanent to its owner's hand. You're probably going to create a token that's a copy of target creature you control. And target player is going to draw a card. So you might not get all five pips, but you're probably getting four of them. And so a blue-blue counter spell that gives you that much extra value is insane. Which also gets me to counter spells your counter spells cost one less so a lot of the two mana really good counter spells delay disdainful stroke uh arcane lofty denial. denial arcane denial mana leak memory lapse like the ones that cost uh like one in a blue now just cost a single blue where their counter spells cost one more you just turned all of their counter spells into cancels um which is absolutely crazy so the utility on hinata is absolutely bonkers um there's a lot of really crazy stuff you can do and i want to say so you have a um two lists here uh, i don't know where you got the blink one but i was actually gonna 
mentioned because I was talking to our friend Mark about a Blinky Sonata list. But uh, do you want to get into that? And then. Yeah. So we're going to have two lists in the episode description. One of them is just pure spells, like in- extremely low creature count. Um, and I think that a lot of Hinata decks are going to be built in that direction. Yes, then, I do too. Yeah. And then the other one is like, uh, one, one thing that was like really compelling to me as I was looking at the uh, spells that, that got a lot of uh, cost reduction from Hinata is like ghost way or not ghost way, but um, like, eerie interlude uh, semesters and mm-hmm. um, both become extremely cheap. And that actually opens up some combo lines that aren't normally available. So like, you know, cloud of fairies or creatures that generate just a few treasures when they enter the battlefield. Um, that's enough mana. If you're, if your blink spell, if your mass blink spell only costs one. So you can pretty, so, so basically this list is uh, a whole bunch of creatures that enter the battlefield and regrow uh, instant sorceries um, and ways to, to dig for some of your targeted mass blink spells. And then a couple creatures that net mana when they enter the battlefield, like Cloud of Fairies, Dockside Extortionist, Peregrine Drake. And you're just trying to assemble that combination of three things and, you know, get often infinite mana, uh, infinite storm. And of course you, because there are like so few really busted, uh, really busted cards for Hinata, you still get to run like the greatest hits, like all the, those X spells we were mentioning before, there's enough slots in the deck that you can do all that powerful stuff, but there's also enough flexibility in this list that you can still fit in this blink shell. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, that actually is a pretty fun way to do it because th- this was something uh, when I was talking to our friend Mark and I told him I would mention it on the show because I thought it was really cool. Like, it, it is absolutely insane that Semester's End like, gives you so much value and then also costs one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you can get it back and then you can get it back with the Mnemonic Wall or an Is It Chronarch or an Archaeomancer. Like, that is absolutely insane. It's insane that like you can pretty much always save your Archmage Emeritus, like whatever it might be um like it's so hard to wrath your board it's so hard to like interact with your guys because there are a decent amount of these cards that like flicker or like exile till in a turn and like save your stuff and um that's just awesome like disorder in the court with this guy is like so cool <laughs> oh yeah definitely. um and so that's kind of it that's hanada like definitely also i think a new staple commander that we're just gonna see from now on like this just effect is so broad and powerful Definitely, yeah. I think that's uh, going to be one of the more built commanders to come out of this set, for sure. Yeah. Um, also, this next one. So you notice these three color commanders are pretty pretty gas. <laughs> um, <laughs> this next one is also three color, but sneaky. This is uh, Tatsunari Toad Rider. Tatsunari is a 3-3 three, three human ninja for three mana, two and a black. They have uh, so much tech, so please just bear with me. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, uh, if you don't control a creature named Kami, create Kami, a legendary 3-3 black and green frog creature token with whenever you cast an enchantment spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Uh, They also have one hybrid green-blue, so just two mana. 
A Tatsunari, Toad Rider, and Target Frog you control can't be blocked this turn except by creatures with flying or reach. So we got our first Frog Voltron. <laughs> we did it. No, this is an enchantment. This is like a weird uh, enchantment, like enchantress kind of thing in like black, green, blue. Um, yeah. So it it's really, <laughs> it's kind of like wild. <laughs> The first thing I'll say about this is like this commander didn't need blue at all. Yeah, um, yeah just in, in like building the deck and trying to find things that synergized well with the abilities. Um, like I, I naturally gravitated a lot towards green and black, and I ended up with only a handful of blue cards in the final list. Um, so mm, I, I guess my that's my note is like you know always be looking for ways to narrow the color identity of your commander so as to prevent good stuff bloat but anyway um so what i see as the main benefit of this commander is that okay you're definitely running an enchantress list and you have a ton of sack fodder and a ton of like three power creatures entering the battlefield so there's a fair number of things you can do just with that um, and, and kind of ignoring the like each opponent lose one life and you gain one life or like making it so it can't be blocked this turn, whatever that none of that is important. All that matters is this three, three that you can't uh, you can't stack up on. You can't get a bunch of these three threes. So you better figure out how to get value out of each individual one and then get it out of here. So you can get another one, like keep it from, sort of blocking up the line um so a couple things um yeah. sack outlets seemed really great like you're on color for attrition you're on color for mind slash these are enchantments that and i guess also uh, evolutionary leap greater good because the toad has or because the frog is a three three you are card neutral on greater good um and uh, even some like non enchantment sack outlets like sadistic hypnotist, whatever. Um, those all seem great. They all find they are, they're all ways to generate cards off of these three threes that you're getting um, there. And also because you're going to be sacrificing things so often, like death triggers work pretty well. Uh, things like brave pact dictative Erebos. Um, those are, are all fantastic to be running in a list like this. Uh, Moldervine Reclamation. There, yeah, there's, you hit, there's plenty of things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had a really interesting piece of tech that I want to make sure we we make mention of. Yes. So I've been like obsessed with this card for years and just haven't found a place for it. And this, it, like, if I hadn't just made like an enchantress list, like I would have probably made this list. But now, now look at me, egg on my face. Um, but there is a card from the original Ravnica block uh, called Blood Funnel which is a black enchantment. It costs one and a black. And it says this incredibly powerful line of text, non-creature spells you play cost two generic less to cast. Uh, and then it says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, counter that spell unless you sacrifice a creature. So that is the balance. You have to have creatures to funnel into your blood funnel to cast your non-creature spells. Um, normally that card just blows. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, it's pretty much impossible unless you have like a... Uh, like a murmuring mystic and a whispering wizard and all the, the talking wizard folk and the young pyromancers or whatever to generate creatures to 
sacrifice so you can cast your spells cheaper, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, you can stack your triggers with a blood funnel out. So let's say you have a Tatsunari. Uh, you cast blood funnel. You get a Kami. Um, then you you just cast anything. You cast like uh, Enchantress's Presence for green. You can stack the triggers so that you drain everybody for one. Uh, you sack the like the the triggers go on the stack as you cast the spell, and you can uh, sack the or like pay the blood funnel trigger with the Kami and then mm-hmm. get a new one. Exactly. Yeah. So you can just kind of like keep this like my frog died. I drained you. I have a frog going with a bunch of spells uh, going through your whole list. So like you're like okay, dry to Elysian Grove, and I, there's probably some way to make it go infinite with even more cards. Uh, you could put in enchantments that like drain when your things die or whatever the bastion of remembrance or whatever that one card is like stuff like that. But um, that was a, a pretty powerful like this is basically the first time I've seen blood funnel do anything mm-hmm. that like didn't require way too much setup. Nice. Yeah. I really like that piece of tech. All right. I've got one more piece of tech and then just like a general note and then maybe we can move on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're basically out of the almost, legends and we can out. zoom through. Yeah, yeah. And then we can zoom through the rest. So thank you all <laughs> of you for, for hanging in there. It's been about two hours. I figured half the, these sets is usually the legends and then the other half is the card. Yeah. All right. Uh, one more thing to mention is um, in the the brief moment that like Kami is able to experience the world before we kill her and get a new one, um, you there's a couple ways to just get value out of her. Like Kami is legendary, so you can use her to untap your honor worn Shaku and and essentially generate mana for all the spells you're going to be casting. Uh, similarly, you can do the same with Earthcraft. Uh, and then, uh, so, so that's a pretty good way to, um, like keep the, the flow of your enchantress, uh, going, uh, also just like in general, green, black is a pretty good color combination for enchantress. Like you, the, the very best constellation cards are like Doomwake giant and thought render Lamia and Satessan champion and Eidolon of blossoms. So getting all of those four in the same deck is is pretty powerful. Um, also, conveniently, almost all of the like enchantress cards in general happen to be in green, um, yeah. <laughs> despite them supposedly being equally in both. But that's that's discussion for another time. But you've got yeah. Arcothian enchantress, you've got enchantress's presence, um, you've got Verdurin enchantress. So there's. Um, just a lot of ways to to keep the the card flow going and yeah, just power blossom. through your deck yeah 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 all of them um so yeah definitely a strong commander uh definitely interesting a lot of words to just do something like play enchantments um yeah i know it's funny like really there's you you could have gotten most of what the deck needs with half those words but yeah whatever <laughs> yeah exactly this next one, we are we have two five-color commanders in the set, and this first one is in the set boosters, and it's the one that we mentioned at the very, very top of the episode two hours ago. Yep. This is Goshintai of Life's Origin. So this is a 3-4 legendary enchantment creature shrine for four mana, three and a green, and they have an activated ability, white, blue, black, red, green, tap, return target enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and whenever Goshen Tai of Life's Origin or another non-token shrine 
enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 colorless shrine enchantment creature token. So um, that that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, like these shrines like get going really, really quickly if you have a bunch of shrines. Like if you cast like two shrines and all this with Goshintaya and you are getting five for whatever your like shrine does, that's a, that's huge. That's gigantic. So this is like the perfect shrine commander to me. Oh yeah. And, and this is exactly what I was hoping for when we started, um, when they started with the like set booster exclusive commander cards. Um, yeah. I just wanted to see cards like this that like, they could never build a precon around this, and it's really hard to squeeze into the main set. But you know, there is a need for a shrine commander. Uh, you can just look at the the Sisse page, uh, the five color Sisse page on EDH Rec, and you'll see that players really, really want to build this deck. So I'm I'm happy that it exists. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty interesting design. I we there is a list in the episode description uh, if you want to see how it, it's built naturally you are going to start by tossing in every shrine you possibly can yeah all 15 all 15 uh oh plus the sanctum of all so 16 Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah yeah, i forgot um so that's uh probably your starting point but just in terms of tech there's a a lot going on there as well uh one thing i noticed is uh remember enigmatic incarnation i'm sure you don't because it was (laughs) very forgettable at the time um, this was in Theros Beyond Death. It's two green blue for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, uh, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantment's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So this is a way to convert some of your shrines into like some of your crappier ones, maybe into Goshintai or maybe even convert your crappier Goshintai into better Goshintai. Um, or you can also get like enchantress creature or enchantment creatures like say thought render Lamia and Doomwake giant, uh, Eidolon of blossoms. They're all equally good here as well. Other things to look for in this deck uh, the commander does synergize with sagas, so it may be a good idea to run some of the better sagas in this list. Um, also, because all of your shrines are legendary, you can run things like Search for Glory, which allows you to search for legendary cards. Uh, Reki, the history of Kamigawa, kind of functions as an enchantress in this list because almost all of your enchantments are also legendary. Uh Gosh, other cool things. Um, there's a, there's a lot. Like this deck is like really cool. You can use like Zer the Enchanter to get out some of your like sanctums and shrines and Goshintai because most mm-hmm. of the Goshintai are like three mana or less. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really easy fixing, especially with enchantments. So like your mana isn't really a problem, and if you have money, your mana is not a problem anyway because you can get your fetches and duels and shocks or uh, even like your your zen shocks or the snow or not zen shocks the zen duels or the snow duels like it you could do a pretty budget mana base on this and still have a really good time with this list um there's there's a lot (laughs) there's a lot going on it's really cool um i don't know if there's anything else you want to say um no uh i think that's about it other than like you know it's worth noting that the shrine tokens if you're really despy are skull clamp compliant yeah something there 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, please go ahead and uh, check out that list in the episode description if you're curious. And you know, if you know of any cool tech for this commander, let us know. Um, this also seems like it could just be an, uh, a neat sh- um, saga commander. And so I'm curious if you all have any builds like that that, that utilizes it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because I think like you don't necessarily need all 15 shrines or 16 shrines to like put in this list. Like the, a five color saga commander hasn't necessarily existed either. And this is a pretty good way to take advantage of that. So uh, yeah, definitely want to see if anyone can come up with something cool. Um, this last one, <laughs> going out on a whimper here. So this is Kyodai Soul of Kamigawa. Um, this is a 3-3 dragon spirit with flash and flying for four mana, three and a white. Whenever Kyodai Soul of Kamigawa enters the battlefield, another target permanent gains indestructible for as long as you control Kyodai. And then they have white, blue, black, red, green. Kyodai gets plus five, plus five until end of turn. So yeah, so we're we're just gonna like make as much Wooberg mana as possible and pump it into this guy, right? That's the whole deck. <laughs> yeah, end of your right. turn, flash it in. Yeah, this seems like a cool Voltron commander. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, this gets like absolutely insane. So we we were talking earlier about some shenanigans with like Boom Pile and whatnot when we were talking about Rizona. Like, imagine that same game plan, but instead of having to jump through hoops, you just cast your commander. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little better to me. Yeah. The unfortunate part is like Geodai will die in the process. Um, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but honestly, like how many times do you really need to nev disc before you've instilled fear in your opponent's hearts? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, like if you nev disc once and still have a nev disc, like you're so screwed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like your opponents, like it's so hard to play through that. So like even just Geodying, like, a boom pile nev disc whatever like one or two times is probably enough to just keep everyone off of whatever um and then like you're in five colors you you probably have some way to win it could be lands it could be planeswalkers it could be spells i don't don't know you you you, you'll figure it out you're smart yeah uh all right that is the end of the commanders uh just really quickly want to take your temperature on this um how do you feel about this crop of commanders compared to say uh i don't know the last standard set we saw uh i'm much higher on these commanders than i was in the crimson vow commanders um like i can't even think of that many like crimson vow commanders that really got me excited off the top of my head it was like uh yeah, um, <laughs> I, I built like the precon commanders because I was buying the precons anyway. Yeah, I didn't build anything out of that. That that's like kind of the thing. Set. Like the the precon commanders were good. Um, I'm trying to think of like off the top of my head. I get, I have to look back. It's like I kind of liked Grolnock, but not really. Uh, oh, Torrens was pretty strong. Yeah, Torrens was good. Uh yeah, so there wasn't like a lot going on in the last set where I feel like there's only a few misses when it comes to Kamigawa. Um, yeah, I I definitely feel the same way. It's like a really there's just so many options. Uh, I was really I had a lot of fun building the deck list for this episode. Um, there's a lot that I'm gonna try to I mean try to make in in person. Like there's so many cool things going on. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, if I wasn't just brewing lists all the time, like I said, like I probably would have made a Tatsunari. Like, uh, if every one of my friends wasn't making a Hinata, I probably would have made a Hinata. Like, <laughs> like something like that. Like, Grease Fang seems really fun to me. Um, just a bunch of them. They say Taru. I, like, if I had the expendable income, I totally would want and done that list at least one time because that's like hilarious. But there's just a lot of cool stuff. And I really like that they juiced up the monocolor commanders, it feels like. Um, like the the dragon cycle is all really strong. Um, like the uncommon monocolor commanders are pretty cool and fun to build around. We got like light eyes, which is giving white like space that it hasn't had yet. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a lot of cool stuff going on. So I, I'm in general, I'm really happy with with uh, what's going on in the set. Yeah, and and like really, the main thing I was looking for coming into this set was like a good execution of a shrine commander. Yeah, that seemed like a really clear, low hanging fruit, and I think they did a good job ex- executing on that. So I, I'm mm-hmm. very pleased about uh, the commander so far. Yeah, and then on top of that, we got like Ishin and like Hinata, and like we just there's so many extra gifts, you know, mm-hmm. just like little cherries on top. So definitely great, and and I'm. I'll save it till the end. I have some thoughts about Kamigawa in general that um, I think will make sense after we get through the whole set. So we're going to kind of rip through the rest of the set because uh, even though there's a decent amount of cards we want to talk about, um, a lot of them are pretty simple. Um, yeah, and, and I've like clustered together some things that like, oh, well, the ninja deck is going to be interested in all of these cards and nobody else cares about them. So <laughs> yeah, no, I stuff. think it's a it's a good way to go about it. So uh, let's start with the planeswalkers as per usual. Um, so I'm going to read off the wandering emperor. So this mm-hmm. is a three loyalty planeswalker. They do not have a planeswalker type with uh, a, a mana value of four to white, white. They have flash. As long as the Wandering Emperor entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant. So that that's also on your turn, so like in the middle of combat, because this is basically a funny combat trick. She has a plus one. Put plus one put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create a two-two white samurai creature token with vigilance. Minus two, exile, target tapped creature, you gain two life. So, I mean, this is pretty interesting space. She just kind of, like, bamps in there and, like, ruins combat for someone. But, like, how many games of Commander have you played where, like, like instant speed, get first strike, like, turned the game in your favor? (laughs) Uh, very few yeah like on one like, hand like a, a fraction of a percent <laughs> yeah uh I, I think that like if the the first two abilities were a little bit more impactful in commander i i could be interested in this yeah, like, i agree like it is um the, the fact that it is like exile target tapped creature as an instant like at the end of somebody's turn and leave a planeswalker bonus is that's actually kind of nice um it's just the problem is like the plus one and the minus two don't aren't really doing anything that matter in commander um so if they had tweaked this a little bit uh i think this could have could have been uh i don't know something useful something um something commander worthy but you're you're right that like combat tricks just don't matter yeah they were really careful uh this is uh 
point I'm going to make at the end of all of these Planeswalkers, but they were really careful with them. I think this very easily could have been like a minus zero uh, for the make a samurai, but like they really wanted to make sure they didn't print a, a Planeswalker that just ruins standard again. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I think this is going to play really fun in standard. I'm, I look forward to playing with the Wandering Emperor on Arena. Um, but I probably am not really going to put it in a deck. I mean, it might be some funny tech for um, mono white planeswalkers. What's that guy's name? Oh, um, Jeru. Jeru, because like, you can save Jeru some grief or like be a kill spell on Jeru, which is really funny. Um, so that's like kind of interesting. But yeah, this doesn't in general seem like a commander card to me. Yeah. You know. Um, do you want to read off the next one? Sure. This is Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh. Two blue blue for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Tezzeret. The first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate. So it's just a static ability on the card. Then he has plus one, draw two cards, then discard two cards unless you discard an artifact card. Minus two, target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it isn't a vehicle, it has base power and toughness four four. And minus six, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. So the like sort of training grounds ish ability is kind of interesting. Um, like if yeah. anyone still has a Memnarch list that has some <laughs> pretty expensive activated abilities, uh, and this could potentially get you like up to eight mana over the course of a round of turns. Um, so that's kind of interesting. The I kind of like the plus one um mm-hmm. the the minus two not so much I, I don't think that like making things into four fours i, I mean that's just going to make it more fragile in commander and the minus six could be good but i don't know if there's a lot of overlap between like the artifact decks and the decks that can like either proliferate him up or or like um or just do something to get him there sooner because i don't think that like you know it's an ultimate it's gonna take uh he's gonna die before he's he gets to that if all you're doing is just taking him up once per turn yeah um, <laughs> but is, is there anything i missed anything you think is compelling about it? i don't think that's solid i'm i think i'm a little higher on him than you just because like uh i have i like decks that kind of do what he is kind of built for like yes is minus two like make something more vulnerable but it also like protects him so like i could and also like animating artifacts that shouldn't be creatures to make them creatures lets you like do funny things with them like a uh voltaic construct is that what it's called oh yeah let's you untap artifact creatures yep. and stuff so like this could very well just be a piece in like a blue x artifact deck that wants to combo off like and it starts the chain easier because the first time you activate voltaic construct it costs you less like there's a bunch of like little things that I, I I'm a little bit higher on it, but like half a point higher than you on it. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, like I think this is fine, uh, and that's where I will will leave it. Um, okay. How do you feel about Kato Shizuki? Uh, well, Kato Shizuki is a one blue black three loyalty legendary planeswalker Kato. It has a static ability. Uh, or actually, well, a triggered ability. Yeah. At the beginning of your end step, if Kato Shizuki entered the battlefield this turn, he phases out. He has plus one, draw a card, then discard a card unless you attacked this turn. Minus two, create a 1-1 blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked. 
and minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Um, I think in like low power Yuriko builds, this seems fine. I, I mm-hmm. like that it's essentially um, like because it can't get attacked the first round. I think I would pay three mana for like an unblockable ninja that drew me a card. And I think that that's kind of the bare minimum what he's going to do for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really think I'd run him anywhere else. Um, I think that the minus seven ability is kind of interesting. It doesn't really feel um, very, doesn't really feel like it's in blue black's color pie. <laughs> yeah, <do> definitely. It's <laughs> uh, a little odd, but I, I think they probably could have uh, maybe iterated on that and found something that worked better. But yeah, I also think it's like so weird, like as a minus seven on this guy, like, is that what I want my reward to be after ticking this up for like five turns, four turns or whatever it is like, yeah, my reward is going to be like even more work. And like, yeah, I might win if I get the emblem, but it's also like, why didn't I win hitting them with, unblockable ninjas i I think that's kind of the idea i think they just wanted to front load all of the power on his like triggered ability and his first two abilities and then the minus seven it looks splashy but it it is true like i think the people who are going to be most excited about it aren't going to realize that it will never happen (laughs) yeah that's true um but yeah i i think it is interesting like this is a cool way to have like a flavorful like this guy is a ninja so like he shows up does a thing and you can't find him and like kind of protects himself for the first turn so you at least get to do it twice yeah. um i think that's cool so it might not be the most powerful thing in the world but it's like an interesting design space for planeswalkers i think um this next one is also very strange um mm-hmm. can i read this next planeswalker off <laughs> sure yeah good luck uh <laughs> describing that mana cost yeah <laughs> So this is Tamiyo Completed Sage. So they are a um, five mana planeswalker, five mana quote quote planeswalker with five quote quote loyalty, uh, legendary planeswalker Tamiyo. So they have, uh, their mana cost is two generic green Phyrexian hybrid green blue. So Phyrexian green, Phyrexian blue hybrid, which means you can pay either green or blue or two life, uh, and then also blue. So five mana, so like either two green, green, blue, or two green, blue, blue, um, or two green, two life, blue, uh, because it has this ability called completed. So if you spend two life to cast Tamiyo, uh, she enters the battlefield with two less loyalty. So she's either a five mana planeswalker with five loyalty, um, or she's a four mana planeswalker, or you lose two life and she enters with three loyalty. So, kind of hard to like parse over podcast form. I'm very sorry to anyone in a car who might not like have fully gotten it, fully grasped it. Yeah, maybe just like pull over for a second and just get it up on your phone. <laughs> just, just so yeah, look look on your phone. But yeah, basically a four mana planeswalker with three loyalty, or a five mana with five loyalty. Um, and she has three abilities plus one 
tap up to one target artifact or creature it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step, minus X, exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X or less from your graveyard, create a token that's a copy of that card. Um, that one's pretty wild. We'll get to that in a second. Minus seven, create Tamiyo's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast cost two generic less to cast and tap draw a card. Huh, there's a lot going on <laughs> in there. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, okay, I'd say the plus one is, to me, that's a blank. Um, yeah, it, it's whatever. Like it's It like will come up sometimes, I don't know, whatever. The the minus X, uh, to me, if that's primarily what you're trying to do with the card, unless you are, like, populating tokens, um, or making, yeah, making additional copies of the token somehow, unless you have some sort of value with tokens, like, you're in a green color identity, I think you probably, rather than casting Tamiyo, you should probably just be casting a regrowth and then casting the thing you want um (laughs) so the the one thing that this card offers that is kind of unique and interesting is the minus seven i think if you're in like a an atraxa super friends list something that can cheat your way to that ultimate a little bit faster than normal then that's where i might try running this card is, is like you know you play your attracts a turn four you play this turn five you you take up to protect it and you've got a blocker and then next turn you get that notebook which looks pretty darn good to me mm-hmm. yeah i agree i like i think as we get more like commanders that play around in like token space this might be more appealing, like because then then the minus X isn't so much of a blank to you, um, and the fact that like this artifact like journal thing sticks around if Tomio dies or whatever, like is pretty appealing also. But yeah, th- it's just a really weird uh, command. Like, there's not necessarily a deck that I can think of other than Atraxa Super Friends that like, or or just Super Friends in general, like whatever your color combo might be that like really is excited about this you know so yeah um but that is all the planeswalkers so let's tear through some main deck cards and uh do you want to start with the first category we're going to talk about (laughs) yeah so really quick i'm just going to talk about some well i guess specifically kestia because you know i have one i always talk about it um so there's a, a lot of enchantment creatures and and even like the doofy ones that just seem like kind of vanilla are probably fine in kestia because she's running like there's been so few enchantment creatures printed throughout magic's history and uh she's been running a lot of very bad ones uh for a very long time so (laughs) even even just tiny upgrades uh matter a lot so things like Moon Circuit Hacker, uh, one in a blue for a 2-1 enchantment creature Human Ninja. It's got Ninjutsu for a blue. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card unless Moon Circuit Hacker entered the battlefield this turn. That seems great. Um, Fang of Shingeki, uh, single green mana for a 1-1 enchantment creature Snake Ninja with Death Touch. Uh, Weaver of Harmony, 
one and a green for a two two enchantment creature snake druid other enchantment creatures you control get plus plus one uh green tap copy target activated or triggered ability you control from an enchantment source you may choose new targets for the copy uh that seems good as well and then of course um jukai naturalist green white for a two two enchantment creature human monk with lifelink enchantment spells you cast cost one less to cast so just by virtue of the fact that these are decent enchantment creatures that cost less than three mana they're all probably going into kestia um weaver of harmony because uh there are like there is now a shrine commander and because people have uh and because i guess there's now also a saga commander um that it seems like weaver is going to find a home in those builds like copying some of the more powerful uh saga chapters seems pretty darn good and um jukai naturalist is just like an easy inclusion into your pretty much any enchantress build like it's going to trigger your enchantresses it's going to give generate a lot of mana in the form of like savings yeah all of these seem like good cards in uh, and some go into more decks than others yeah Uh, that's pretty much exactly what i was going to say is that last thing so i think we can move on to um some cool ninjas um there's a lot of ninjas in the set and guess what they already had a home (laughs) in yuriko um some of them give themselves homes like seitaru or whatever but like that you put these cards in your ninja deck and do you want me to read some of these guys off sure yeah tell us uh some of the maybe the ones we haven't already heard because i think yeah 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 so we've heard of like nashi like the legendary creatures like if they're ninjas yeah whatever put them in your deck so I'm gonna go over the non-creatures or the uh, the non-legendary ninjas. Um, so we have thousand-faced shadow. Should I read off what it does? Sure. Okay. So uh, most of them are not gonna be this wordy. It just so happens that this first one is a rare. Thousand-faced shadow is a one-one flying ninja human for one uh, mana, just a single blue pip. It has ninjutsu of two blue blue, and when thousand-faced shadow enters the battlefield from your hand, if it is attacking, create a token. That's a copy of another target attacking creature. The token enters the battlefield tapped and attacking. So, uh, surprise, there's three attackers. Um, and it's a 1-1 one, one ninja for one, so that's pretty good. Inkrise Infiltrator is a 1-2 flying ninja for one and a black. It has a very bad activated ability that pumps itself. Uh, Moon Circuit Hacker is a 2-1 Oh, we've already, uh, we've already mentioned that one. Already. Oh, yeah, because we just mentioned it with the last one. Biting Palm Ninja is a rare. It's a 3-3 three, three human ninja for 2 and a black. Ninjutsu for 2 and a black. Uh, it enters the battlefield with a menace counter on it. When it hits someone, you can remove the menace counter to exile uh, a card in their hand. That's kind of fun. Uh, Silver Fur Master is a ninja lord. It is a 2-2 two, two rat ninja for blue-black. It has ninjutsu of blue-black. Ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate, and other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one plus one. Uh, Prosperous Thief is a 3-2 human ninja for three mana, two and a blue. It has ninjutsu of one and a blue. When one or more ninja or rogues deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. Um, That one in particular is like pretty strong in the rogues list too, because rogues are also getting in there pretty hard. So Yeah, yeah. I I think that so general rule for like figuring out your ninjas like if they are cheap and they have evasion definitely put them in if they have good on hit triggers definitely put them in especially if they have you know cheap ninjas to abilities yeah um silver fur master this is part of their attempt to sort of bridge 
some of the very Kamigawa specific creature types with other creature types, especially ones in standard, like, you know, warriors mattered in Kaldheim and in um, Zendikar Rising, rogues mattered in Zendikar Rising. So Silver Fur Master, he, I don't think he's good enough for your rogues deck. Um, yeah, like yeah, just, definitely. Yeah, he doesn't have the relevant type line, so it's just not enough. But Prosperous Thief making potentially three treasure per turn, uh, that's that's good enough that you'll yeah. probably run it in your rogue deck. I feel the same. And so basically, like there are more ninjas, uh, flavor to taste. If you really like the other ninjas we're not talking about on this episode, um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't run them, you know, like, like it's He's just the ones that like stood out to us. Exactly. So uh, and I think we are going to talk about more just but we're going to talk about some. The, these are like general groupings of cards, so we don't have to spend like hours talking about them. Um, and the next general grouping of cards is cards that just should go in your vehicle deck if you're in the color identity. Yeah, um, specifically so, the the blue white precon vehicle. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we will talk about that more next week. But the first one is, I think both of these are uncommons. That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is called Mobilizer Mech. It is a three four artifact vehicle for one in a blue. It has flying. Crew three, and whenever Mobilizer Mech becomes crewed, up to one other target vehicle you control becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So you only need to crew this to crew two vehicles, which is like that. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. Because another thing in the set that you get is uh, there, there's like a mini mechanic in the set of pilot tokens, which are part of the next vehicle, Prodigy's prototype. A 3-4 vehicle, it costs one white-blue. It has crew two. And whenever one or more vehicles you control attack, create a 1-1 colorless pilot creature token with this creature crew's vehicles as though its power were two greater. So let's say you you crew your... Or you don't even have to. You can just play this, like, attack with a vehicle, get a pilot, and then your mobilizer mech can just be piloted by this little token. Um, That's great this is awesome. These are great vehicles for your vehicle list. As long as you're in the color identity to cast them. Um, last card that's going to, we, we're going to talk about more vehicles in general, but the last card in general that just should go in your vehicle deck is called mech hanger. It is a land. It taps for a colorless. It also taps to add one color of any color spent, uh, spend this mana only to cast a pilot or vehicle spell. So like, mana fixing for your pilots and vehicles and then it has three tap target vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn uh wow <laughs> I, I i got wrath but i can still attack with my prodigy prototype yeah sure um i don't know do you have anything to say about that or should we just keep on moving uh let's let's keep on moving we got a few more vehicles to talk about uh and and one very small category and then we'll be into the the set proper mm-hmm. um so next card is Surge Hacker Mech. It is four mana for a 5-5 five five artifact vehicle with Menace. Uh, it has crew four, and when it airs a battlefield, it deals damage equal to twice the number of vehicles you control to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. Um, we'll see exactly what we're getting from this precon, but I think it actually is is starting to look reasonable that you might have two to three vehicles on the battle on the battlefield um including this one so hitting something for four to six is going to clear a lot of creatures a lot of the most important creatures and commander out of the way uh so i think this is like 
pretty good as like a necrotol that then has a relevant body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I just 100% agree. I think uh, as someone who's been playing a lot more um, Flame Tongue Kavu recently and just seen like what four damage can do in like Modern Commander, like I, I'm pretty high on this card. Like it goes into your vehicle deck, uh, it takes care of business, and it's just a 5-5 five, five menace that your pilots can crew pretty okay or your commander can crew or whatever. So yeah, I'm I'm into it. Um, can I talk about this next vehicle real quick? Yep. This is Reckoner Bankbuster. It is a two mana vehicle. It's a four four. Uh, Reckoner Bankbuster enters the battlefield with three charge counters on it. It has two tap. Remove a charge counter from Reckoner Bankbuster. Draw a card. Then, if there are no charge counters on Reckoner Bankbuster, create a treasure token and a 1 1 colorless pilot creature token with this creature cruise vehicles as though its power were too greater. And it has crew three. So, this just is. This is cool. <laughs> this it's, is just like Maze Mind Tome, but different. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. Um, Maze Mind Tome doesn't see a ton of play in commanders in less than 3,000 decks, but. Like the fact that it also has a four four attached to it um, makes it a lot more compelling. I think. I agree. I mean, it, just getting the token and the t- like, drawing a bunch of cards, getting a token, and then if you want the token, conclude this four four for you. Like, that seems totally worth two mana, you know. And then mm-hmm. like drawing, paying two to draw a card is something I do in a lot of non blue color identities. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on this card. I think I'm gonna try playing this in a lot of different decks. Yep. All right. Uh, final category uh, is, of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention these uh, cards for Edric, and and <laughs> I guess the the Edric variants that exist, like Grazalax or uh, Anawan the Ruin Thief. Um, so one of them we mentioned earlier. That's Thousand Face Shadow. It is a one mana one one with flying, but it also has that ninjutsu ability to make copies of attacking creatures that might matter. Uh, And then the other is Network Disruptor. It is a single blue mana for a 1-1 artifact creature, Moonfolk Rogue, with flying. Uh, When it enters a battlefield, tap target permanent. So that's a a way to potentially clear out blockers. It has that rogue type line, which makes it relevant for Anawan. Um, But either of these are are useful in Edric or Grazalax. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and now we are into the... The, the meat, the steak of the episode. <laughs> Just kidding. We've been in there. Uh, you've been listening for like two and a half hours at this point, three hours. This first card is called Banishing Slash. This is a white sorcery. It costs white, white. So MV of two. Destroy up to one target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. Then if you control an artifact and an enchantment, create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance. Um... This is like so close to being absolutely insane. And instead I'm like, que- like, I feel like I'm going to put this in a deck and it's going to underperform and then I'm going to take it out now. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to me. But I am probably going to put it into a deck at bare minimum because the art kind of rules. <laughs> but um, uh, it's just like so close, you know? It, it is very close. I'm also on the side of probably not good enough maybe maybe in mono white um but the thing is like you know we've seen the component parts of this a million times before and they're they're not even close to good enough and i 
don't know if combining them is is quite enough at sorcery speed. I mean, yeah. if it was an instant, it would be no question. Even instant if it's staple, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe even at three mana instant, it would probably be... Yeah, I would still I think, play it. Yeah, I think it would be good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think just like the knobs on this aren't set to the right numbers. Like, like ditch this part about making a samurai, don't care. Uh, make it a sorcery, maybe bump up the mana cost. And I think that's that's a great card this one hmm, i don't know i I mean i guess yeah yeah i I don't know like yeah this seems like what it is to me is like limited payoff it's like if you're playing the like modified creatures like have a have an aura on your artifact creature whatever then you cast banishing slash to get a 2-2 like that's what this seems like to me is like a limited reward as more than like a, an eternal kill spell and so i understand why they like would err on that side um like but i just i don't know i just we still need these effects in white yeah so it kind of blows that let, it, let me they're so rare let me ask you one thing it let's say it was one white white still a sorcery but it could hit uh, any creature, not just tapped ones. Would you run it? Ooh, still a sorcery, one white white, but it could hit any creature. Um, oh, my cat just jumped in my lap, so I think she thinks so. But um, I do I get the guy still? Uh, we'll uh, we'll say keep the guy. That's fine. Okay, so I get a guy, and I can blow up anything for three mana, or any of those things for three mana. Uh, I would probably run that. Yeah, I I felt like um. Gosh, what what was the the white lesson um, from Strixhaven? Oh, yeah, the exile thing get a three two. Yeah, uh, or they get a three two. Yeah, but, uh, I felt like that was really close. I agree. Yeah. Um, and and if like lessons worked in Commander, it'd be super easy. Yes. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Please. <laughs> so I think that because like what I'm looking at right now is like comparing this card to Banishing Light. Like if I'm gonna run a sorcery speed um, removal spell, then it's going to have to be very versatile. Um, Yeah, I'd say like a little bit more versatility. I'd accept it's as sorcery speed. Yeah, at sorcery speed. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm 100% there with you. Um, A sorcery that does get me going, though, is this next one. Um, Can I read off this next card? Sure. So... This is Brilliant Restoration. This is a white sorcery. It costs three white, 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 white. So seven mana, four white pips. Return all artifact and enchantment cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's it. That's great. I'm I'm down. Yeah. Give me more I, of this. I, I'm totally behind this card. This seems like a really good reward for committing to a heavy white color identity. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're going to be interested in this in like Sitho... Oh. Sithis, Daxos the Returned. Uh, Don't worry, Sithos is coming out the next set. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> They've been real close on some of these names, like Vadric, Vadrock. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, like the the artifact and enchantment focused, like two color white decks. Probably all going to run this. Um. I think Gen wants it. The the Mardu Enchantress guy, mm-hmm. but I don't think he can. I don't think you can afford this mana cost. Yeah, I totally get that. Would you run this in like a Teshar or does Teshar just not give a crap? 
Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so, because I think Teshark has enough other ways to recur stuff. I think that, like, you know, yeah. if if you're really interested in, like, all your stuff is generally very cheap. Um, and you can run things like Restoration Specialist, Tru- Trusty Pack Beast, uh, Treasure Hunter. I think you have other ways to get artifacts uh, or to recur them, maybe not get them back on the battlefield. But maybe not. Maybe it is just so backbreaking to get like cleansing Nova or Bane of Progress. Yeah. Okay. I, I probably thinking about it. I, I probably would run this. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. I mean, I, I like the card regardless. And uh, if it has more homes, then all the better. So cool. Um, so this next one is a white spell. This is the first like main deck card we're going to talk about with reconfigure. This is Cloud Steel Kieran. This is a uh, artifact creature equipment Kieran for three mana, two and a white. Uh, it is a three-two flyer at its base, and then it has reconfigure of five, and it has equipped creature has flying, and you can't lose the game, and your opponents can't win the game. So make your own platinum angel. <laughs> yep. uh, I I don't love it if I'm doing this fairly because like platinum angel doesn't actually see that much play in commander, and where it does is like um, mostly colorless decks scrambling for playables and angel tribal decks and so this doesn't really fit into either of those types of lists but uh in like an arden list where you can just direct slap this onto a creature without paying the the five that seems fine um yeah yeah. i'll I'll pay three mana for a platinum angel sure yeah i'm kind of right there with you so um Played in Arden, and if you like Kieran's, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, oh, how do you feel? Uh, actually, uh, maybe it's a question for another time. Maybe not in a four-hour episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So bookmark it, and we can we can have a, a nice round table at some point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So this next card is uh, the first of a cycle that we're we have a lot of thoughts about. I feel like. Um. But this is a Ganjo Seat of the Empire. This is a legendary land. It taps for a white mana and it has channel two and a white discard a ganjo it deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature this ability costs one generic less to activate for each legendary creature you control um this is just good enough you know i mean like i'm just gonna put this in pretty much any white deck that i have and uh everyone who's playing against me playing white is gonna have to worry about their four toughness creatures (laughs) forever attacking me so that's i i i would i I would say for me like uh so it's this is a card that it's it's like the zendikar rising uh spell lands in that it's technically correct to run it well in in this case like it doesn't even come to play tap so it's technically correct to run it almost 100% of the time in like a mono white or two color list with white. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, But this, for me, this um, doesn't, this is like a less compelling card to want to fit into my decks. Like if, if a ganjo is $5, I'm not going to buy a whole, bunch of them them, yeah (laughs) just because i don't care that much like white can kill creatures if it wants to um Mm -hmm. like i'm already like i'm not gonna take 
removal out of my white decks so that I and, and like put in a ganjo. You know what I mean? This is just not versatile enough compared to a lot of the other options. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Uh, um, whereas yeah. like with, say, the green one, like I would just take out a naturalize and put that into my mana base. Yeah, no, I I, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so I think it's correct to run it. I'm not going to prioritize it. That's what I say. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's kind of how the MDFCs kind of feel like. Like a lot of the decks I've made recently, I've been like, hmm, I should probably put in these MDFCs or I am uh, in a two-color deck and might as well extract value. But then it's kind of like, do I care <laughs> enough? Mm-hmm. Like, that? do I care about that win percentage enough to do that? And I think, like, if I, like, all the way practiced what we preach, I would do that. But, like, it's also just a lot of effort. And I only have so many Balagad recoveries. <laughs> like, <laughs> I only bought eight of them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there was so many places to put up. No. So that's kind of where this is. And the difference is, like, a lot of these cards that kind of go into every deck, like, when they're not that much money it's not a big deal but like the fact that these are probably going to be ubiquitous and like just only go up over time unless they get reprinted which they probably won't is uh kind of poo poo yeah kind of feels real bad um the one thing that i think aganjo has going for it over the other ones is that um white can is going to get a lot more like reanimate its lands stuff so i think this is good in mono white or and will be getting better in mono white also for that reason. That is a good point. I have been looking um I have been like paying a lot of attention to the white self-discarding creatures we've gotten lately. Um mm-hmm. just cuz like, you know, if if white is getting better reanimation, we but had but still is like really bad at getting things into the graveyard, we these are the things to look at. So that mm-hmm. so I think that's a good point. Like self-discarding matters more in in this color. Yeah. Um so that's cool. I mean, that that's another reason to run a Ganjo. Not that you really needed too many <laughs> more. Yeah. But um, yeah, they, all of these lands were going to be kind of flipping about because it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, come on. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, Legendary is a bonus in some cases. Like you've got your yeah. your Niambi deck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I am very happy that these exist in the like part of my brain, the like, wow cool robot part of my brain is like yeah cool more tools and then like the part of my brain that like cares about the format as a whole and and like is a little bit deeper of a thinker looks at it and goes like did you need to exist are you making my life better by Mm -hmm. being here right now and i don't think the answer is yes yeah the price tag for all monocolor decks just went up yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so uh oops but uh, we have a saga to talk about. Do you want to get into this guy? Yeah, this is the Fall of Lord Conda. It is two and a white for an enchantment saga. The first chapter is exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value four or greater. Uh, the second chapter is each player gains control of all permanents they own. And the third chapter is exile this saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. Uh, the And the other half is an enchantment creature, Human Noble. It's a 1-3 with Defender, and when it dies, draw a card. So, uh, 
when I first read this card, I thought it was any permanent with mana value four or greater, and I was very high on it. Um, the fact that it only hits creatures has uh, put a damper on my enthusiasm. Yeah, I, I had the exact same experience you did, where I was like, "Oh yeah, D Spark on a Saga, cool," and then was like, "Oh, mm, okay." Yeah, I mean, I'm probably like, like I said, I, I made an oops all enchantments list. This is good enough for that, you know. Um, I think there are still going to be some enchantress lists that want something like this, and something about these sagas that turn into creatures that is cool is that um, it triggers like your Eidolon of Blossoms twice because mm-hmm. they exile and come back. So you get the card draw off the front, you exile a creature, you do your chapter two, and then your chapter three, you draw another card and you have a creature. So that's like, that's kind of cool, you know, it's a little cool, <laughs> but like, I don't know how much value I'm expecting to get off of these. Like, it, there's going to be a lot of these because they make limited work, but like, um, I really don't think you need to run that many of them. So. Yeah, like, I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I I would I think I'm going to try it in my enchantress list. Um, yeah, to see how it plays. But mm, currently, I'm expecting that I will take it out eventually, and we'll we'll see yeah. if that changes. <laughs> yes, I actually am in the same boat. Even in my my oops all enchant, like I just feel like that we have good enough options for removal on enchantments at this point. That like a little thing like this like it's it's like not quite enough value to be worth it mm-hmm. um this next one is definitely enough value this is a white sorcery it is called farewell it costs six mana four white white and it says choose one or more exile all artifacts exile all creatures exile all enchantments exile all graveyards um i oh god i'm so happy this exists and i'm so upset it took so long to make (laughs) you know like like the the nuking all graveyards on this is like like and this is someone who's coming from like every single one of my deck plays out of the graveyard in some form the thing is like we uh, you know i'm i'm the same way and that that really i think we know that we're sinners and should be punished but (laughs) we've we've gone unpunished for too long Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yeah, no, I also love this card. Um, many times I've like had a cleansing Nova in my hand and wanted to blow out my opponents, but like, oh, then I lose my soul ring and my one power stone. God damn it. Um, like the the fact that it it's really surgical um, is really nice. Love the incidental graveyard hate. And I, uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm a big fan of this card. The only thing I'll say, even though I, I think it is better than Austere Command, there's couple things to mention one is like austere command you could break the symmetry a little bit but i mean further break the symmetry by choosing like the right cmc of creatures to run like maybe you're just blowing up the expensive stuff with austere command whereas that's not really an option here everything's goes Mm -hmm. and one and one other thing to mention is like um you know austere command has been good since like the beginning of the format like Austere Command was good in 2010, um, but Austere Command is not as good in 2022 as it was 10 yeah. years ago, 12 years yeah. ago. Uh, Farewell is coming in with like that disadvantage attached to six mana spells. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like 
it's still good enough that I'm going to play it, but it's definitely nowhere near the powerhouse that like it could have been a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. For okay. sure. So this next card is Imperial Recovery Unit. This is a vehicle. It is a three mana, three, four. So two and a white. Uh, it has crew two. And whenever Imperial Recovery Unit attacks, return target creature or vehicle card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand. This is this is good. I I like this card a lot. Like, and I think it's only going to get better with time. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the easiest to use low mana value uh, reanimation cards. Like, I, I I really think it only has comp any real competition from like or i mean well sun titan obviously but um but like maybe custody soul caller yeah which honestly like i really liked that card when it came out and i've played it less and less because it is so hard to use sometimes yeah there are a lot of boards where like if you're trying to build up your board you can't necessarily wrath super easily so the board just gets clogged and you're like well i can attack with my Custody soul caller, but like, then what? But this is kind of just like it escapes the wrath. Uh, it only has crew two, which is pretty easy to do, and then like four toughness is enough to make it not super fragile. And also, you only have to attack one person to yeah. get the mana value two. Exactly. Yeah, um, all of the things you just said. Yeah. Uh, so this is something that's like I said, it's it's going to get better with time. They are concentrating more of white's power into cheap creatures and we've seen a lot of developments just in in you know the last year or so um so there's been you know cards have been around for a while like bounty agent selfless spirit um hope of giripper kami of false hope but we've also seen cathar commando uh we've seen wall of mourning spirited companion companion uh especially as we see more of the white lanawar visionary or is that right no elvish visionary um especially as we see more of the white elvish visionary type cards this is going to become like closer and closer to being uh just like a kind of a phyrexian arena ish um type of card and of course it works really well if you've got a list with sack outlets um i i'm interested in seeing um what we get in the near future or and keeping tabs on this card because even if it's not quite good enough now it will become better over time yeah you know what card and i'm going to mention it here as we talk about this guy that has really impressed me the last few times i've used it is cliffside recruiter or sorry cliffside rescuer oh is that the thing that gives like something protection from your opponents until end of turn yeah that one has been really good it's a 2-2 vigilance for two it's a core soldier uh, and it says tap sacrifice cliffside rescuer target permanent you control against protection from each of your opponents till end of turn Mm -hmm. um so that's like pretty good (laughs) it's it's came out in c19 but yeah just the fact that we keep getting stuff like this there's one we're going to talk about later in the set review um yeah i guess i won't steal our own thunder but yeah there there is um just a lot of experimentation going on that design in like the small white creature space and i love it i love it love to see it all right uh you ready to move on to the next one yeah let's do it so this is invoke justice it is one white 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 for a sorcery 
Return target permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield, then distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures and or vehicles target player controls. Uh, this is sweet as hell. Um, I love that we're getting the quad mana symbols in this set. Um, yeah, me too. That's super fantastic. You know, it's something we've been saying for a long time is just please make more monocolor rewards. And this one seems pretty good. Um, there are certain, there haven't been a lot of effects like it in white, maybe not any um, that do exactly this. So it's an option to reanimate a lot of different card types, like being able to, you know, reanimate an Ugin or something like that is, is potentially very exciting. Um, I didn't really think too much about the plus one plus one counters, but like, it is nice that if you're in a plus one plus one counter list, you sort of get your cards worth of value just by reanimating something. And then you get this uh, bonus effect of like, oh, all my stuff now has counters, which matters for the things that like double counters or, or count the number of um, permanents I have with counters on them, like an inspiring call or something. So that's that's nice as well. What What have you been thinking about with Invoke Justice? I mean, I think this is definitely good enough for like a Neombi reanimator. Um white reanimator in general um i think two color mana even on a budget is good enough that you can run a card like this um you you definitely have to try you know like it, it four white is a lot harder than like two white two blue or something like that mm -hmm. but uh i think it's possible and uh yeah i just like that they're concentrating power like this or they're <laughs> Or they're attempted to. I think this one is successful. I think Invoke Justice is a very powerful member of this cycle because this is a cycle of like monocolor rewards. But um, I just want them to keep doing this, like more like this, please. Like even if it's not specifically Reanimator, like something that makes me want to go, like, yeah, I want to play Mono White. Like we just don't have a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think Neombi wants this probably since it's a permanent card, like good enough for even like an Orzov or something like that list too, where you can get back your sack outlet or your uh, lifeline or, you know, something heinous. I think the difference too is that like mono white needs stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> so that hopefully this will see play just because like it is mono white and it's a way for mono white to kind of pull ahead out of nowhere. And, and honestly, like discarding cards, somehow or like milling yourself or whatever and then like reanimating something with an invoke justice like seems like mwah, gameplay you know like that's something mono white just has not had access to until now i guess you had the like one rebound card that's like what is it journey there's the one card that was from dragons of tarkir I know what you're talking about. That was a little uh, profound journey. That costs profound journey. Mana, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember I played that when it came out, and then like have to, had to just literally had to take it out of decks because it like didn't do enough. Yeah, in later years. But so th this is like something that White has basically had access to for like almost a decade now. But um, I like. Oh, well, I guess it. a little less. It's like eight years. Yeah, like but I like seeing it at this mana cost. Um, yes, absolutely. And you know, the more I, I would love to see more of this effect around the same, like four or five, um, because returning permanent cards just opens up what you're able to do. Like in Yambi, you can make maybe make it a little bit more Planeswalker reanimator oriented if you see enough of these effects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, super cool. So uh, interesting 
uh interesting card and like seeing uh monocolor rewards yeah yeah very into it so uh next card is also there's like very cool new white card it's called lion sash this is a one one artifact creature equipment cat for two mana one and a white it has white exile target card from a graveyard if it was a permanent card put a plus one plus one counter on lion sash equipped Creature gets plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on Lion Sash, and it has reconfigure of two generic. Um, so this is just awesome. Like this is like, we just want more cards like this for equipment strategies. Um, like kind of period, you know. Like we need equipment that is like tutorable with all of your um, like open the armories or whatever, but also like gives you utility that equipment hasn't had before <laughs> yeah um just for reference scavenging ooze is in twenty six thousand decks on edh rec so that gives you a sense of like the the value of this kind of effect um it's and, and yeah i love that you can tutor it it's tutorable graveyard hate um it's a decently sized creature it's an artifact um there's just a lot of hooks on this card, and uh, I, I think it adds a lot for white. I think it's a really interesting card. Yeah, yeah. and uh, at bare minimum, it's an artifact creature that uses plus one, plus one counters. So like, if you're playing Zabaz or something like that, like if you're in a plus one, plus one counter list, if you're playing Arden, there's just so many decks that want something like this. So I, I think this is an instant staple. It's super cool. Really glad white got something like this. Um, this next card I'm also glad White got, but there's a lot to say about it. So this mm. is the Restoration of Iganjo. This is a saga. It costs three mana, two and a white. Chapter one, search your library for a basic planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Chapter two, you may discard a card. When you do, return target permanent card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And then uh, chapter three, you exile it and return it transformed. And it turns into Architect of Restoration, which is a 3-4 Fox Monk enchantment creature with Vigilance. And it says, whenever Architect of Restoration attacks or blocks, create a 1-1 colorless spirit creature token. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like, I'm pretty much down for all of these things. I would play this in Enchantress, especially because we're getting so many more sagas and there's some pretty good two-mana sagas. Um there's also good like seal of cleansing and whatnot that are two mana that you can get back with this. Uh, notably, you can get back lands. So kind of sneakily restoration of Aganjo is a ramp spell in especially mono white. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, if they just keep printing stuff like this for mono white to keep up with the other colors, I that's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's cool. So I, I'm really high on this card. I think I'm going to play this a lot. Yeah. What I mean, I would. So as a ramp spell, like the fact that it essentially is three mana to get you ahead, one land, presumably yeah. <laughs> like your reanimating land, you know, doesn't really compare well with, um, you know, with, with say worn power stone or any of the two mana rocks. Uh, I I like it a little bit more as like. Okay, you go get your planes, you discard something that costs two, and you reanimate yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, you're recouping some of the initial mana cost, 
and basically what you're paying what you end up paying for in the long run is single white mana get a planes uh and then get this three four vigilance that you know makes spirit tokens um one thing i gotta say that maybe i should have brought this up earlier well i guess the other one didn't have i mean the other one had defender so maybe it's not relevant but um i i really really hate that like these sagas exile themselves then return to the battlefield transformed like Mm. uh especially like something like this that that has an attack trigger the fact that it has it doesn't have haste exactly yeah so it's like okay i play this on turn three uh turn four i get my chapter two turn five i i get my creature turn six i get to attack with my three four like it's it's like the problem with suspend. After waiting this long for a creature, I just want to send it in. I don't want to have to wait a whole other turn uh, to, yeah. to do my thing. No, I definitely agree with you. That's why I think that like the only decks that really are going to be actively happy about these cards are going to be the Enchantress lists because you do get two procs on an like enchantment ETB. Because mm-hmm. like other than that. This it's a downside, right? Like in pretty much any other situation, like it exiling itself and coming back is a negative, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I yeah, I can totally see what you're coming from there. Yeah, I, it, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> One other criticism of this card, like I just hate how wordy white ramp is. I hate mm-hmm. that they haven't found an execution of it that isn't just like twenty five words like okay search your library for planes then you discard a card then you reanimate a target permanent card with mana value two or less but it's got to be tapped like (laughs) so many restrictions and steps and it's like and this is not unique to this card like look at how long the text box is on cartographer's hawk or on uh, boreas charger or on but it's just all of them have such incredibly long and convoluted and restrictive uh, ways of ramping. I just wish they could figure out a way to do it simply that wouldn't break the color pie. And because I think that like the longer it is, like the the more difficult to understand it is, the less uh, appealing it is. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, you want it to look like cool and fun and sexy and, yeah, because there is like a attacks in terms of processing your cards, um, like the fact that the green player can just be like turn one, I play my Lanoir Elf. Its text box is tap colon add G period, and and they're like suddenly a turn ahead. Whereas with your white deck, you need to <laughs> you need to read this pamphlet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, moving on to the next card. This is Selfless Samurai. It is one in the white for a 2-2 creature, Fox Samurai. Whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, it gains lifelink until end of turn. Sacrifice Selfless Samurai. Another target creature you control gains indestructible until end of turn. Um, I've actually been liking Selfless Savior in decks that can um, recur it easily or get value off of its typing. And I think I'd be pay- willing to pay two mana for the effect. Like this is obviously never going to be as good as Selfless Spirit, but I think it is 
still a fine card. Um, our patron Raphael suggested running it in Winota as something that will trigger Winota, but also protect her if need be. Um, and it, I think it also makes sense in decks that can easily reuse small creatures. Yeah, no, and I agree with all of those things. I, I like this card. I, again, I'm happy that we're seeing kind of like uh, a lot of these and we're playing around in this space nowadays. Like that seems really fun and cool to me. So um, yeah, definitely uh, excited Selfless Samurai is here. Mm-hmm. Um, can I read off this next card? Yes. So this card is so simple and I'm so excited about it. It is Spirited Companion. It is a 1-1 enchantment creature dog for one and a white. And it says, when Spirited Companion enters the battlefield, draw a card. That's it. That's all it does. Mm-hmm. It's just a little common. But the fact that this is an enchantment, the fact that this is a little tiny creature, that it has MV2, that it has one power, one toughness, um, that it's a dog. like It has so many like little things about it that just are great that are just awesome fits into so many places yes uh i'm gonna run it in kestia you know you would run it in a rin and sari list um wall of omens sees play in over fourteen thousand decks on edh rec so there's clearly a lot of places in the format that just are or that just care about two cost one one draw card oh uh something i i thought of um god eternal oketra is probably just going to continue to get better as white gets more cheap cantrip creatures. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so being able to like ma- be card neutral, but still farm this token generating trigger seems pretty nice. I-, I don't know if I love, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm crazy, but like it doesn't seem like amazing in enchantress because mm-hmm. uh, like not many pe- there there already are like do nothing cantrip enchantments like ground seal or bonds of mortality that nobody really plays but maybe the yeah. fact that it's a creature just has a, a, enough additional utility that people are going to be psyched about it i don't know yeah that's kind of where i'm at with it too is i actually i think uh, exactly what you just said i think that people will play it because it's a one one blocker um because it works with their enchantress it blocks and uh yeah, that's pretty much all that people want <laughs> out of it. So, yeah, again, I'm like pretty high on this card. I, I don't think you're necessarily like, I don't think it shines best in Enchantress. Um, but I just think it has the, the fact that this hasn't existed before. Like it's a two mana white creature that cantrips, but it's also an enchantment. It's just like it's such a simple, cool way to make a card that's really impactful for like so many decks. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings us to blue. So, uh, can I read off this first card? Mm-hmm. So, this is Anchor to Reality. This is a blue sorcery. It costs four mana, two blue, blue. It says, as an additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature. Uh, search your library for an equipment or vehicle card. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle. If it has mana value less than the sacrifice permanence mana value, scry two. Yeah. How do you feel about this? Uh, this is pretty. I mean, obviously, it's like pretty narrow in what it searches for, but equipment and as well, and I guess to an extent, vehicles are getting crunchier all the time. They're being given like more interesting abilities all the time. So, like, you know, equipment used to mean like, well, you can 
get your bone split. I mean, whatever. Uh, you can get your sword, but these days you can get a sword of hearth and home. So you can get like a blink engine with an anchor to reality. You can get a reanimation engine like Nim Death Mantle. You can get a card advantage engine like Skull Clamp, or like you can use what the card itself suggests in its art uh, and get the reality chip. It just there's a a lot of utility that you can get out of this card. It's it's um, the effects that you can pull with this um, support a lot of different archetypes. Mm-hmm. So definitely like i think this is a cool way to like make a tinker variant that isn't busted you know Mm -hmm. like this gameplay is still fun you still have to jump through hoops you still feel like you're doing something but i think it's an appropriate reward for decks that want to do this so i think it's kind of cool one thing i I, uh i'm realizing like in the blue white vehicle pre-con you can spend four mana and get like a parhelion and then crew it with your two power commander um that seems pretty good yeah that does that does seem pretty good (laughs) okay sorry (laughs) no Uh, that's cool go ahead um so yeah this next one is invoke the winds this is the blue member of the invoke cycle it costs uh similar to the white one it costs one blue 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 so five mana four of it blue pips it says gain control of target artifact or creature untap it um yoink yeah (laughs) yeah uh how do you feel about this i mean it's uh control magic but better you know yeah we don't have a a lot of precedent for this effect at this price point on a sorcery um but i think it'll be good obviously it's gonna be limited to heavy blue lists um but Blue has just a lot more synergies with sorceries than it does with like auras where we typically see this kind of effect. Um, so being able to copy it easily or recur it easily after you cast it uh, is is pretty appealing. Also, um, it's relatively rare for these kinds of steel effects to untap the thing. That's pretty nice, mm-hmm. especially if you're grabbing like a, a mana rock or something. Um, I'm uh, tentatively uh, positive on this card. Yeah, I like this card. I like. I don't think it's just just by virtue of it. Pretty much goes in mostly blue decks. I think that there's stronger things to do if you start even branching into like two colors and whatnot. So like, I think in mono blue, like yes, absolutely. Uh, it's pretty good when you're copying this spell. Um, I think this is a really powerful spell, but I just don't think it's going to be like adopted super heavily. If that that makes sense, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not a cool new effect. Like the white one is like something white is really kind of getting at a new power level for the first time, and this is like even though that's technically true with this spell, it doesn't feel like it. Like people go, "Oh, well, blue cards steal stuff all the time." Yeah, I could take something for five mana easily mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, card exactly. Yeah. So I think that this card is more powerful than effects we've seen before and is really cool. Um, I just don't know if people are going to pick up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But can I get into the next card? Uh, Yes, go for it. This one is pretty cool. This is Moonsnare Prototype. It's an artifact. It costs blue, so just one blue pip. It says tap, tap an untapped artifact or creature you control, add 
a generic mana. And it has channel, four and a blue, discard Moonsnare prototype. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Um, this is like a cool, weird artifact spring leaf drum. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I like it. I think this is cool. The, the channel is actually like pretty good. Like your little crappy mana rock doing something like that in the late game is pretty all right with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like Springleaf Drum sees play and like Calamax, Archelos, Kinnon. So I think this is uh, obviously it's worse. Like it has a colored cost. Um, but there, I mean, there's something to be said for redundancy and I think this is a good card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So I guess with that said, let's move on to Mirshell Crab. This is a five, seven artifact creature crab for seven mana five blue, blue. It has ward three and it has a channel ability Two blue discard Mirshell Crab counter target spell or ability unless it's controller pays three. Um, this seems great. Like if I'm recurring artifacts in any way, or um, like this is just an uncounterable like stifle taxi counterspell thing. Like this seems very potent, you know? Yeah, it's it seems great. the The main challenge I think is just going to be um, figuring out a way to reuse it. Like uh, there's like Hannah Ships Navigator that that might be a little bit slow um maybe in a a green list that can like search that like maybe can get a uh genesis in the yard or like a blacklist with like a phyrexian reclamation um i mean i i love the effect i think the body is like kind of worthless um yeah <laughs> so i'm I'm really just interested in the fact that like it being a creature makes it more easily recurrable so i can uh you know use the same card to counter a whole bunch of things mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't really have much more to say about this i think it's just like there might be decks that want to play this the fact that it's an artifact that can counter spells is nuts <laughs> it's pretty yep. cool can we move on to the blue member of the legendary line cycle sure so this is Otawara Soaring City. Uh, this is a legendary land. It taps for a blue and it has channel three and a blue. Discard Otawara. Return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. This ability costs one generic less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Okay, I'll, I'll get this out of the way. You know, it's free to run in almost every deck. Um, I, it's really crazy to me how much worse the other members of the cycle are compared to the green version. Oh yeah. <laughs> like this effect is worth, we know what this effect is worth. This effect on Odawara is worth two mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effect on the green, I, I mean, so charging us four for it is crazy. The green one, the effect is probably worth one mana. And if you have an in- a legendary creature on the battlefield, you get charged one mana for it. Like, the the delta between what it's worth and what we have to pay for ever for like all the non green ones is much higher than for the green one. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, that's uh, that nothing you said is wrong <laughs> there. 
yeah i mean the only thing i can say is that it's even though you're right like still still good enough Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like for every gripe i might have about this card it's still good enough yep um so wow (laughs) (laughs) um so now we're in the black cards which is uh good because this is gonna still be a long episode so this is a dokuchi silencer this is a 2-1 human ninja for one and a black. It has ninjutsu of one and a black. It says, whenever Dokuchi Silencer deals combat damage to a player, you may discard a creature card. When you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker that player controls. Um, yeah, you have a little, you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, so the, okay, obviously like the ninjutsu mode is much worse than throat slitter. Uh, throat slitter you don't have to discard anything uh you just hit and blow something up boom uh but this is unlike throat slitter like you know which costs five mana it's really reasonable to cast this for two and then just start turning it sideways like without being a, a tricksy little hobbit um and i just like that this is a a pretty efficient way to convert cards in hand and to dead creatures on board like it's also a discard outlet for the very few madness cards in the format uh it's a way to stock your graveyard for reanimator commanders um i just think this is a really interesting tool and like i think this could see play in like alesha maybe in um drana 3.0 the one that like reanimates or lets your opponents choose what to reanimate from your graveyard um maybe in like the first chainer or like the second lazav uh i i think it's a a neat little card it is kind of hindered by the fact that like um you know similar to another ninja we're going to be talking about later you can only blow up permanent or you can only blow up creatures and planeswalkers belonging to the person you hit so you know, if they have creatures, it's more likely that they're going to have blockers and this creature doesn't naturally have any evasion. That's a little bit of a challenge, but I guess it does have ninjutsu to, to help somewhat. Um, but overall, I still think it's an interesting card. Yeah, I actually like hadn't considered some of that. Like, I'm actually going to think about this for some of my decks now that I've released myself from the shackles of the ninjutsu uh, type <laughs> <laughs> in the text box. Mm-hmm. Um so this next card is an interesting iteration on something we've seen before. This is Gravelighter. Uh, this is a 2-2 flying spirit for two and a black. And it has when Gravelighter enters the battlefield, draw a card if a creature died this turn. Otherwise, each player sacrifices a creature. So what? What? this is the fifth Fleshbag Marauder that we have? Uh, at this price point, there is also Slum Reaper, but yeah, yeah pretty much. And, and, and Mega, uh, the Mega Fleshbag, the zombie Oh yeah, the... yeah, good point. Yeah, but yeah, I I at one point in time will just ran every flesh bag in a lot of lists and then it's like at a certain point I wanted to like do something instead of tear everyone down. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of like this card for that reason. Like I would maybe put like Playcrafter unless I had like type synergies and then I might play a Gravelighter cuz that's like kind of fun or cool or whatever, but it's not as good I I don't think. I I think it part of the reason why flesh bag is so powerful is that it kills itself so you can get it back with more graveyard shenanigans to farm Mm -hmm. the trigger or this doesn't sack itself if you draw the card (laughs) yeah true but i mean if with the other mode it can sack itself Um, yeah i guess that's true too 
Uh, I will say that I kind of like the idea of them just iterating on Fleshbag, but with different creature types, because that does um, make a big difference. Like, for example, your like, Fleshbag has a huge amount of value in a... Oh, God, what's his name? I have this this deck um, in a Wilhelm list compared mm-hmm. to any other version. And Demon's Disciple has a huge amount of value in an aura list. Um, Grave Lighter, because it's a spirit, like, you know, if I still had Iname Death Aspect built, I would be very excited about running this um, this flesh bag that's compliant with my uh, commander's tutoring ability. Um, so I think there is maybe room if they're just very conscious about the creature type they are choosing and what commanders will be interested in it. I think it could add value to the format, even if like maybe there isn't a generic black deck that really wants like 12, but flesh bags or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I hope that one day if they're going to keep printing all these flesh bags, we do have a commander that's like, hell yeah, more flesh. Bags. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they they do seem to awfully love it mm-hmm. a lot. So, um, but yeah, I think this card is cool. I th- I like that it's a spirit this time. Do you want to get into this next one? Sure. Uh, so this is Reckoner's Bargain. It is one in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice an artifact or creature. You gain life equal to the sacrifice permanence mana value. Draw two cards. So over time, I have. Uh, very slowly learned not to underestimate the community's love for cards like this. Um, yeah. Costly plunder, which is almost the same thing, but slightly worse, um, is in almost 10,000 decks on EDH rec. And the main difference between costly plunder and this is that this also gains you some life. So it has, it has a bit of utility in the decks that care about life gain, you know, like the wither bloom, deck or whatever um so this just i mean it's an upgrade over an existing effect that is basically a format staple so i I think it's pretty safe to say this will see some play yeah definitely um i like this card i don't know i don't really have too much more to add i like when they put those little writers on it to like make a treasure gain some life like Mm -hmm. whatever it just means that it cards like this will work in more places or like tie into more themes as they print more commanders over time. Yeah. Life gain is just a really nice writer to add. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Easy and cheap. Yeah. It Um, it doesn't itself have a lot of value, but it, yeah, it just triggers things, but sorry, go ahead. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, you're 100% right. So this next card is called ruthless technomancer. It is a two, four human wizard for four mana, three and a black. When Ruthless Technomancer enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature you control. If you do, create a number of treasure tokens equal to that creature's power. And it has two black Sacrifice X artifacts. Return target creature card with power X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. X can't be zero. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think this is really good. I love when black gets like Soul Devi, Adnate type like things to do. Uh, I love that black is still getting treasure stuff and it's doing it in such a black way, but I'm going to give the floor to you because there's some cool stuff that you have got going with this guy. Sure. Um, I would, I'm going to start off by saying that I think that assembling a loop is probably more trouble than it's worth. 
you know, I, I do like to look at things from the combo angle, but, you know, I started piecing this together in my head. And once it got to be like, you know, more than three cards, I was like, ah, probably not. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to focus on the fair use case. I, if you have like a commander with a powerful death trigger, like Kokosho, um, that's pretty darn good. You can, I mean, you come in, you sack Kokosho, you pay three, sack your three of your artifacts, you get your Kokosho back. Um, that's pretty good. Potentially, if you've got a commander that just has an enormous amount of power naturally, like Grevin or something, uh, you could get a million, you can get a million treasure, um, and maybe even net mana, like you sack your, your Grevin with 10 power, or actually I guess it'd have to be more than that, like you sack your Grevin with 15 power after you deal combat damage, then you recast it for less than 15 and then just use your treasure on something else. That, that could be something. It seems pretty good in Negan, which I guess we'll be seeing a Magic Universe version of pretty soon in New Capenna. But with Negan, for those who don't remember what he does, it's two and Mardu, so five mana. You know, when it airs the battlefield, you and target opponent each secretly choose a creature that player controls, then those choices are revealed, and that player sacrifices those creatures. But the important part is, whenever an opponent sacrifices a creature, you create a treasure token. And maybe this is the deck that wants the 10 flesh bags. Um, because if you have a flesh bag, you with Negan on the battlefield, you cast your flesh bag and your opponent, each of your opponents sacrifice a creature. You sack the flesh bag, you get three treasure. Then you uh, pay mana into your Technomancer, sacrifice your three treasures you just got, bring your flesh bag back, get your treasures back. So you are going down on mana. You're pumping mana into this but you're clearing your opponent's board and like you're getting the mana you need to continuously flesh bag your opponents. Uh, presumably, presuming they like all have at least one creature each time you do it. So that's, that's something the Technomancer is also pretty good at looping artifact creatures. You can loop like, you know, a baleful Strix and a sky scanner and draw some cards, or you can get a bunch of artifacts back. If you're like sacrificing a mirror retriever or workshop assistant or junk diver, Something like that. Yeah, um, I, I like that a lot. Like, just kind of like dirtling with a value like that. That, like, seems really fun to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, finally, if you have, like, a a Togo list, some, like, black, red, X Togo list, Togo just makes so many goddamn rocks. That this <laughs> the is rocks good, everywhere. Yeah, so this is a pretty good outlet for converting those rocks into something more useful. Would you say this is the worst one or do you think the blue is the worst one of the land cycle uh, i think the blue is the worst one i actually um because i don't i think the red one's actually fine yeah like the I, two guys yeah but we'll get to that spoiler alert mm-hmm. um so this is takanuma abandoned mire this is the black legendary land it has tap add a black and it has channel three and a black discard takanuma uh mill three cards then return a creature or planeswalker from your graveyard to your hand this ability costs one generic less for each legendary creature you control it it's disentomb uh but on a land fine what (laughs) what i like about this card um yeah so i agree like four mana is way too much for this effect um but but it is on a land and I like two things about it. I like the milling aspect. Yeah, that is good. Because in the right, like let's say you've like you could use Takanuma and like um oh god, what's his name? The the green 
channel guy who I've already forgotten. Oh, the one we were just talking about yeah. like earlier? Yeah. Shigeki. Yeah. So you could get something going with Shigeki and this where you're increasing your targets every time you go through the loop. So that's a, yeah. l- a little bit appealing. Uh, and also, uh, one thing that does dis- you know that is different about this card relative to Disentomb is uh, getting back Planeswalkers. Recurring Planeswalkers is still relatively rare. So this might be something good in like a super friends list um, just because like you don't I, I don't think there's that many good planeswalker regrowth effects, although I guess regrowth effects exist. Maybe if you're in like. I, I, I don't know, I think it's a, a relatively rare effect on a land um, and I, I hate the amount it costs, but <laughs> Um, but I think it could still be good. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I think this is the worst of this cycle, and yet I'm still going to put it in, like, my Jared deck. I'm still going to put it in my Sir Conrad the Grim. Like, it's, it's like, just enough value that, like, sure, why not? Um, assuming it's not, like, $10, $20 to pick up a copy, you know? But still good. That's the... And that's my problem with these cards. <laughs> <laughs> still good even though I'm complaining. Um, but do you want to keep on moving? Yes. This one's uh, interesting. Do you want to read them off? Yeah. Uh, so this is Unforgiving One. It is two and a black for a two, three spirit with menace. Whenever it attacks, return target creature card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the number of modified creatures you control. Um, so a couple commanders stood out uh, as like being particularly good or a couple of black commanders stood out as being particularly good at modifying things and that's tyam the um the obzon thing that puts and sh- or puts vigilance counters on your creatures as they enter the battlefield mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and marchesa the black rose who gives your creatures dethrone so in both of those decks it's going to be pretty easy to get a bunch of modified creatures um, and Tyam especially seems good because Tyam um, reanimates creatures with mana value three or permanence rather with mana value three or less. So I think Unforgiving One kind of tops out at about three mana, like realistically what you're going to mm-hmm. be able to farm. So the fact that it's also recurring small creatures just gives it an extra layer of synergy with Tyam because they're both trying to do the same thing. Yeah, no, I I really like this card. I think that like, uh, you could arguably run it, um, and and you've noted this before. This in like a Brina or like a Drana two point for like mono black. Um, I think that um, if you're like doing some kind of like Timna partner thing with creatures, like that, you might have enough modified guys to get guys back. Um, like. It doesn't seem hard to have one modified guy and attack with an unforgiving one to get back a Kamiya False Hope or something like that every turn, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I really like this guy. I think this is really cool. I love that it has Menace, uh, but I love that it's not like mega threatening at three mana. Um, so it's cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it. a pretty neat card. Um, all right. So this next one is, is crazy because like I'm amazed it hasn't existed before. Um, so this is, it's called Virus Beetle. It's a 1-1 artifact creature insect for one and a black. 
uh, and it just says when virus beetle enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. Um, but it's an artifact. So, I mean, it's, it's a good fit for Chi-Ray. Uh, but it's also like, I can imagine this being part of some artifact loop at some point or like crunching something like it's just weird to me that this hasn't existed on an artifact before, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they're being less stingy with like, um, other card types on creatures mm-hmm. because it, it is just like another hook to, to loop into. But yeah, I def- definitely agree. There's going to be an easy fit for Shiray. Shiray is already running like Yarok's Fen Lurker and similar types of effects. Um, so this just slots in there and then has potential in lists that are looking for um, for artifacts to recur. So really cool. This next one is interesting because uh, it is a meme, but it also like just goes into some decks. So this is... Uh, do you, you want to mention oh, something? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I can read it. Uh, yeah, so oh, yeah. this is... Um, omae wa mo shinderu. <laughs> uh, and uh, it is an instant for a single black mana. Destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn. Draw a card. So this is seems good in like Judith, Kelsian, um any other like black X pinger commander. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like pretty good value to just kill something, draw a card for a single mana. What was the the oh man, I just remembered him. The red black uh he worked with like your party, but he was the vampire that gave your stuff death touch. Zagras? Z A G R A S, is that right? Yeah, is that three a thief of heartbeat. So like that deck kind of naturally runs a lot of pingers. So maybe maybe it's good enough there too. Oh, that's a good yeah, that's a good point. Um but yeah, it's it's yeah, if your deck runs pingers, yeah. Hell, heck yeah. Uh do it. Yeah, it also seems like pretty good value for effects that let you name a card. <laughs> um so uh jake fitzsimmons on twitter was saying like if you're going to if you're going to demonic consultation with a thassa's oracle trigger on the stack uh this is the card you want to name <laughs> that is very powerful that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> very good i know there's some people that are like this is pretty on the nose but like i i think it's great i think it's great this card exists mm-hmm. we're in red now can i read off this first saga sure so this is called Fable of the Mirror Breaker. This is a three mana enchantment. It's a saga for two and a red. Chapter one, create a two, two red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Chapter two, you may discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. And chapter three, you flip it. You so exile it and transform it into reflection of Kiki Jiki, which is a two, two enchantment creature goblin shaman that has one generic so just a generic mana tap create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control except it has haste sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step so the uh, basically an incredibly fixed kiki jiki yeah (laughs) but that said i still like this card i think you're getting a lot of value out of it um it's just like always a tiny bit less value than you really want i don't yeah, know like it's a little late every time yeah like the you know the 2-2 goblin shaman it doesn't have haste and like okay i'll pl- i'd play a captain lannery storm in the right list i wouldn't you know nobody's playing like uh what's that um werewolf that uh like adds mana um oh um the the green red one or just the red one uh 
The red one that it attacks and you add mana and it continues Yeah, form. yeah, just the red one. Um, or Conduit of Storms, there we go. So, like, nobody's running Conduit of Storms. Uh, so, like, a three-mana creature that attacks to add mana but doesn't have haste is, like, not good enough for Commander. And the second mode, like, you're kind of... I mean, you're you're discarding two and drawing two, but that's, like, not as good a rate as we're used to. Like, we're used to discarding... I mean, like, the card itself is usually part of the, the thing you're losing when you're doing, like, a Tormenting Voice or a Thrill of Possibility. Uh, and then, of course, like, the fact that the reflection of Kiki-Jiki does not have haste. And so, yeah, you play the fable of mirror breaker on turn four uh, or sorry on turn three like what turn do you actually get to use the the reflection of kiki jiki well okay not until turn six um yeah i I don't know it just seems like way too slow like how long do your games of commander typically last yeah at what (laughs) point i feel like at turn six though like i feel like it does enough things being an enchantment in red that like it's worth a slot in decks that want to run that. But if I wanted just the reflection of Kiki Jiki, this card is bad. And if I wanted something that makes mana, this card is bad. But the fact and if that you I want get something like, that loots, this card is bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, just the fact that it gives it all to you is like pushing me to a spot where like I think I'm gonna try playing this card in some lists, and then just if it's if it is actively really really bad, I'm I'll just stop playing it and i'll tell everyone here that it's not good you know okay like, i'm leaning I, on the side of i want to play this card it seems like you're leaning on the side of like i'm never gonna play this card so the way i see this card um it gets more powerful over time like the you know an active reflection of Kiki is by far the best part of this card rummaging but kind of going down on cards is uh, a little bit better i mean a little bit worse than that but better than the first mode um and i just really like it when my sagas load all the value on the front on like the first chapter um so yeah i maybe i'm undervaluing it but it just uh this is like the opposite of what i really want out of my sagas and i am open minded and and curious to see how it actually plays for you yeah, I think it's fair to say that like you cannot like a card and then I can still play the card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like uh it's set in stone, but I cuz I I do think it is like underpowered at every point. I just for something for some reason when I look at this I go like I feel like there's something here, but it might just be the case that I just want it to be good, you know? Mm-hmm. That I want it to like pay off, but we'll we'll find out. We'll have to play with it. Um, I know I'm higher on this next card than you are, but um, do you want to get into it? Do you want me to read it? Do you want to read it? Uh, you can read it. It's fine. Okay. It's the next member of the Invoke cycle. It is called Invoke Calamity. Uh, it is one red, 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 red for an instant. It says you may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana costs. If those spells would be put into a graveyard, exile them instead. Exile Invoke Calamity. The first thing is DNA in our Discord uh, suggested this as a way to like get a bunch of storm count for Reonia. Uh, because it, it is. You cast this, and then you cast two other spells. And it kind of doesn't matter what those do, because that's three spells you just cast on one spell. 
and then Reonia makes four guys for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a lot of value. That's a whole bunch of stuff. So Reonia is definitely going to play this, I think, no matter what. But I actually think this is like pretty good. I think if we keep getting good like red instants and sorceries, this will get better. But like the fact that it's like instant speed yoko hops or like I can mill something with red, I can faithless looting away uh just something heinous and then cast it like later in the game. Like that seems like this is like pretty good to me. I don't know. I I feel like you were lower on it when we were talking before, but how do you feel about it? Mm, I'm still a little low. Like it is a five mana spell that like requires setup. Some setup, yeah. And it doesn't like play well with like loops. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a one shot burst of value, uh, but only after you've already done a lot of work to position things. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's too much i don't know it seems like it's too narrow in its applications for me i understand that something about like instant speeding something that you just shouldn't or like a burning down the house at instant speed Mm -hmm. like cathartic reunion and and something you know like it entices me like a change of fortune and uh something else like that Something seems like it could be really good there. So this is another one that I want to try with. But I definitely think it doesn't go into every deck. I definitely think it it just goes into heavy red decks that want to be like probably rummaging a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like passing a lot of, of things. I also think like instant speed disrupt decorum and also like kill spell a guy like burnt deal two to something or whatever, four to something. Um isn't bad on top of all of the storm count like racking up but but yeah it just seems like it's like close enough that it could do something really crazy in the right list i don't know so i'm gonna look into more stuff and i'll get back to everybody but like an instant speed like jessica's will into something like i don't know it just it seems seems cool to me i don't know what i'm gonna do with it yet but reunia seems like the best spot for it right now okay uh, I will agree to that. Um, and let's move on to a card that I think we both agree is <laughs> yes. good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it is called Lizard Blades. It is one in a red for a 1-1 artifact creature equipment lizard with a double strike. It has equipped creature has double strike. And it can also reconfigure for two generic. So for two, you can attach it to a creature you control or pay two to unattach it from that creature. Um, so how do you feel about Lizard Blades? I like Lizard Blades. <laughs> I think a 1-1 double strike for two that's an artifact creature is cool. Uh, I think that it's an equipment. Uh, the fact that you can tutor it, the fact that you can sack it, the fact that it gives whatever double strike, this is just good. Yep. I'm going to play this in wherever I was playing things that wanted double strike before mm-hmm. and be happy. Yeah, like the next best, or, or like the... Well, yeah, the next best uh, double striking equipment is Fire Shrieker, and this is a, a significant upgrade on the you know total mana you're paying to use it. Uh, it is a little bit more fragile because it is a creature most of the time, um, but I think that's fine, and that is an asset in some places. Like in Jorkadeen, it's a cheap double striker that will contribute towards your metalcraft count. So, like curving this into I don't know, some some idiot artifact tokens 
uh, into Jorkadine. Like this is going to hit for eight damage when you have Metalcraft. Uh, that's a pretty good investment for two mana. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, seems cool. Mm-hmm. You want to move on to the next card? Yeah, this next one I don't have too much to say, but it's it is pretty cool. It's called March of Reckless Joy. Uh, this is also a cycle. Um, all the marches do this thing. They're all X spells, so this one is X and a red for an instant. It says as an additional cost to cast this spell. You may exile any number of red cards from your hand. This spell costs two generic less for each card exiled this way. Uh, and then what it does, exile the top X cards of your library. You may play up to two of those cards until the end of your next turn. So I think I think this is good. I think this is fine. Yep. You know? Uh, yeah, it seems fine in like Prosper or red decks with tons of mana that are trying to dig. Like Neheb 2.0. Uh, mm-hmm would probably play this yeah i also think that if you're like going off and you have like a bunch of cards in hand but you need like a certain piece like that's also a use for this card like in the early game you could even like you don't even have to pitch a card you could just pay three at the end of someone's turn and like draw two cards effectively and then like uh like a a red instant speed divination seems pretty good to me on Mm -hmm. the surface you know and then um just having extra utility beyond that just means this card looks pretty good to me. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I really like commune with lava, and although this you know isn't nearly as good, I just like the fact that red is getting cards that are useful in the early game. Like, oh, I just need to hit my land drops right now, um, and also are an outlet for like huge late game combo mana or just like enormous mana geyser type mm-hmm. bursts of mana. Yeah, the the big turn that like red is known to have. Yeah, uh, or like big dockside, um, you know, shenanigans or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I I would love to see more cards like this so that you can just after you so it's useful in the early game and then after you get your your big thing going, um, it'll just dig you for your finisher and, and like whatever you need to win the game. Yeah, cool. Um, so I think we can move on to the next card then, right? Okay. Yeah, this is scrap welder. This is a 3-3 Goblin Artificer for 3 mana, 2 and a red. And they have tap, sacrifice an artifact with mana value X, return target artifact card with mana value less than X from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste until end of turn. So, um, kind of like a fixed Goblin Welder. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think they fixed it too much. Yeah, I I think it's fine in some lists, you know? I don't think it's terrible. Yeah, um... I think it's good in like Felden because in Felden you're stuck in your graveyard and everything you reanimate is a token and, and tends to like, you know, have an e- a huge mana cost like you're mm-hmm. making triplicate Titans or whatever. So in that list, you're going to have sack fodder that's probably more expensive than the good stuff in your yard. That seems great. Maybe yeah. in maybe in like Ozgear because like you're not, you're making all these token copies. Um so you're gonna have some things that you could potentially toss away and like reanimating artifact lands or whatever could be cool. Yeah. I mean uh, I, I just think so like in my uh Kirkesh, which is just mono red artifacts, like I am like trash for treasuring all the time. Mm-hmm. And any way to like eke out a little bit more advantage from that is fine. You know, like if I make a token copy of a worm coil engine and then I attack with it and then I scrap welder that to get back a gilded lotus that i can 
you know, like just whatever it might be. It seems fine. And it's really good in conjunction with the other two goblin yeah. like, mechanics. You That's know, true. like wooden goblin welder and scrap welder and uh goblin, goblin engineer, engineer are all on the battlefield. You can do some pretty funny things. Yeah, I would uh God, I just wish you could do equal. If it was equal, yeah. God, that would yeah. be I'd be so much higher on the card. I, I agree. I, I think um I think I'm at the same level as you on this card, but uh, I'm just a lot more chipper. <laughs> but I'm pretty much right where you are. I think that is very, very fixed. It's very, very safe. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets us to our next card, which is Sokenzan, Crucible of Defiance. This is the red uh, member of the Legendary Land Cycle. It taps for a red, and it has channel, three and a red. Discard Sokenzan, create two one one colorless spirit creature tokens. They gain haste until end of turn. And this ability costs one generic less for each legendary creature you control. Black has a million ways to get things back from the graveyard, but mm-hmm. like, and, and blue even has so many cards that bounce things that aren't like anything. But like this one, like having just an extra way to make tokens in a red deck, that especially one that wants to make tokens, and especially ones that are like compliant for Winota or uh, Spirit Tribal or whatever, like this is great. I think this is a great card. Yeah, I agree. I think there's um, a lot of red commanders that really care about this kind of stuff. You know, you got your Perforos 1.0, you've got your Zeta. Um, yeah, there's there's just plenty of ways to make use of this, mm-hmm. and it it's totally free to run. Why wouldn't you put it in your deck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the amount of Boros commanders that want to turn it sideways with like three or more creatures, like whether that's because you get a bonus with like. Uh, attacking with three or more creatures or like you have some kind of anthem out you know like it just boros reigns it sideways this allows you to do that for not a card slot and i think that's good enough yeah or even like um equipment focused boros mm. decks like that's true huh you know you can probably find your skull clamp pretty easily and uh, i don't know something there's something there yeah yeah definitely so we have one more red card we're going to talk about this is tempered in solitude it is an enchantment. It says whenever a creature you control attacks alone, exile the top card of your library. You may cast or you may play that card this turn. Um, I you are probably going to say everything I'm going to say about it. So I'll let you say. <laughs> yeah, and it's only like twelve words. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, it seems like a sweet source of card advantage for Voltron decks and like red X decks where the commander randomly has evasion. Like if you have a just a red commander where it's safe to attack in most of the time even if you're not a voltron strategy like it's probably worth considering this assuming Mm -hmm. you're not in a color identity that can draw cards easily yeah it's like a two mana card that draws you an extra card every turn (laughs) for like doing what you were gonna like a hackdose probably would love this you know like yeah it's it's fine perfect great yeah give me another card hell yeah uh we're in green uh, and we are actually pretty close to the end, even though there are some like multicolor and artifacts and stuff. We're we're pretty close to the end of the cards we're going to talk about. So um, yeah, just to give you like a progress bar here, we're on page fifty of our fifty-eight page set review document. Yeah, <laughs> so hang in there. You're doing great. We love that you're here. We hope you're gaining enjoyment and knowledge from this episode. Um, and here is Buna Beseju. It is a green instant. It costs one and a green. It says target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the greatest mana value among permanents you control. Untap it. Yep. Um, I 
I saw this card, was like, mm, I'm going to think about it, and then forgot to think about it. So <laughs> I'm going to leave this That's all right. Too. I got you. That's why we're a yeah. team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there, there's two easy uh, answers for like where to run this card, and that is um, Marwin the Nurturer and Selvala Explorer, or not Explorer Return, uh, Heart of the Wilds. And both of them basically do the same thing. Um, so they're both three mana mono green commanders and uh they well marwin will um grows as you get elves on or, or elves on the battlefield um whenever an elf enters the battlefield under your control put a plus plus one counter on marwin the nurturer um and she can tap for an amount of green equal to her power and then silvala similarly is uh a two three and she has green tap at X mana in any combination of colors where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So, you know, you might play them slightly differently. Obviously, Marwin's going to have a more elfy bent, but um, both of them can turn pump effects and especially pump effects that untap things into rituals. So if you have like a, you know, even a, a 3-3 Marwin or something and you cast this on it, uh, well, you can tap your Marwin for three, and then you Bunabo Seiju, it gets plus three, plus three, even assuming that you have no other permanence on the battlefield, and you untap it, and now it taps for six. Um, it's it's just a lot of mana for these two commanders, so definitely keep it in mind if you're you're interested in playing that, that type of gameplay. Yeah, I'll, I will find more stuff to do with this for sure. Like, I feel like there's something there with like an Elemental Mastery or or some kind like i know it doesn't work with elena but that's where my head went initially mm-hmm. but so there, there's something there um on top of that too because like also you have like heron blade elite um which does basically the same thing as marwin uh it like adds mana equal to its power um so like using this as like a chain to like untap it and add like a billion more mana to whatever you might be doing seems good but yeah we'll we'll figure it out we'll get back to you um all right uh moving on to the next card this is um the most upsetting of the cycle (laughs) i I was gonna say like would you say this is like the most important card in the set for commander yeah i i would definitely say that okay all right well uh this is boseju who endures it is a legendary land it taps for a green and it has channel one in a green discard boseju who endures Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Uh, well, this card is is messed up. Um, yeah, it's it's so good. It's so insane. It's just like disenchant in your land slot but sometimes it costs one and like okay yeah they get a land whatever like but you can just get it back you're in color for life from the loam for all the like land shenanigans like why would i not run this yeah uh i i totally agree like just the other day i went through a list and was like man i'm trying to make some room here and then i saw oh uh you know i have a nature's claim in here I'm just going to cut the nature's claim and then cut a forest for Boseju and boom, I solved my, my problem of having too many cards. <laughs> um, whoops. 
So yeah, it's it's so incredibly easy to run. It will often cost you only a single mana. Like, um, yeah, you just need your commander. Like, yeah, when you're set, that's uh, what I want to do anyway. <laughs> yeah, this is number one. I mean, if aside from the price tag, mm-hmm. like all things being equal, if if magic cards were if there was no like market and everything cost the same, uh, this would be easily like the number one most adopted card from the set. seems like yeah. slam dunk. Absolutely. So, um, <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, well, I think in later episodes, we're going to not specifically talk about Boseju on its own, but like talk about what Boseju means. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, we're going to leave it and finish the episode for you also. <laughs> Um, the one thing someone, it was either on Twitter or in our discord, someone funnier than me was like, uh, Boseju skipped leg day oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I can't stop thinking about that now. Um, so whenever you get to look at the art on this card, you'll, <laughs> I think that might've been Gustav. Was that Gustav? Might've been Gustav. That's great. Uh, I love that. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on to the next card. This is a, a genre of card that I really like, and I always make a point to bring it up. This is Orochi Merge Keeper. It's one in a green for a 1-1 Snake Druid. It taps for a green. And as long as it's modified, it has tap, add, green, green. Uh, so I really, really like two mana dorks that tap for one and then make more mana uh, when you get your commander down. So that's things like um, Dryad of the Elysian Grove or Whisperer of the Wilds. Um, there's other similar cards that don't always care about power but this one is really good in like leonore the white green precon commander from the midnight hunt commander decks uh azuri claw of progress and obun the uh zendikar rising naya landfall precon commander uh i and i'm sure there's other commanders that can easily modify this guy and make him good too maybe in like rishkar probably pretty good um, but this guy just seems really useful, and I like these types of dorks. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I like you turn me onto them. I tried to die to the Elysian Grove in a deck, uh, and was like, "Oh wow, that was like a great experience." <laughs> and I've kind of been running them. And this one too, like there are a lot more commanders that care about having like uh, plus one plus one counters and stuff mm-hmm. than there used to be, and they keep printing more. So I think this is going to be easy to turn on. It's going to be awesome. Uh, just play with this card. Speaking of easy ways to get plus one plus one counters on creatures, <laughs> um, this next card is called Roaring Earth. It's an enchantment. It costs one and a green. It says whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or vehicle you control. And it has channel X green green. So discard Roaring Earth. Put X plus one plus one counters on target land you control. It becomes a zero zero green spirit creature with haste. It's still a land. Woo. So uh, basically, it either animates a land or is a generic counter-generating machine for you, and it's pretty good. Um, you have some stats for the listeners. Yeah, so um, Retreat to Kazandu is in over 10,000 decks on EDH rec. That's two and a green enchantment. Uh, landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield in your control, you can either put a possible sun counter something on something or gain two life. So if you don't care about the life, then Roaring Earth is just strictly better. Um, and there's plenty of decks that are interested in, in running this. 
Like if you're running Mowu or Experiment Kraj, Rishkar, Halar, Skullbriar, Slowgurk, uh, there's just a ton of commanders that are interested in like this really easy source of plus plus one counters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super cool, really cool tool that we have now. Uh, two mana is like a just a great spot for this. So um, this next card, if you're okay, is going to be our first multicolor card. Uh, and it's one I'm particularly excited about because it works so well <laughs> with the commander that we both built recently. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Oni Cult Anvil. It is an artifact. It costs black red, so two MV. Whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, create a one-one colorless construct artifact creature token. This ability triggers once each turn, and then it says tap, sacrifice an artifact. Oni Cult Anvil deals one damage to each opponent. You gain one life. Um. Yeah. Where does this go? So, uh, might be good in Strephon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a Strephon on the battlefield and basically any blood or any artifacts, uh, you convert one artifact into many blood and a construct. Um. So, and and I just love that it like is able to keep feeding itself. Um, yeah. So as long as you can get it started, you will just make a ton of blood every single turn that seems pretty sweet to me yeah i 100 percent agree this probably has some like other marginal utility there's probably some like rakdos loader riot decks that like are more artifacty that um this you can use to trigger him uh because the artifacts also are colorless that get uh like dealing one to each opponent means you get three like mana off of your big boys once Rakdos comes down uh so it's an easy way to start that chain too it, it's kind of like a jadar ghoul color of nefalia yeah yeah exactly that's that's a really good one um so jadar is like if you don't have a decayed token at the end of your turn you make a decayed zombie um and so like you can just kind of sack the same one the over and over same one. yeah exactly um so yeah really cool card um this next one, I think we don't have much to say. It's just really good. It's yeah. uh, Enthusiastic Mechanaut. It is a 2-2 artifact creature goblin artificer for blue-red, so just 2MV. It has flying, and it says artifact spells you cast cost one generic less to cast. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty clear where this is going to be good. Um, like Joy Red 2.0, it's it's very good there. Good in like Galazeth Prismari. Um, and maybe in like Sahili the Gifted, Dalakos, um, Brea, Tanos, just like in the blue red artificer commanders, typically. Um, yeah, not not a lot to say about it though. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you know, like, it, if you want this card, you heard me read it or you saw it, and we're like, I want that card. Yeah. <laughs> so not not a lot to say. Um, this next one's really weird. So it's called Iganjo Uprising. Uh, it is a sorcery. It costs X red white, and it says create X two two white samurai creature tokens with vigilance. They gain menace and haste until end of turn. Uh, and then it says each opponent creates X minus one two two white samurai creature tokens with vigilance. Yeah, what do you <laughs> what do you think about this guy? Uh, well, at first I was just like so angered by this card because <laughs> I think it could like lose the second ability and still be like fine in commander mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah so just to have this like enormous drawback really uh kind of pissed me off but 
you know, looking at it over time, like this was one of the first cards that got leaked. Now I see it a bit more as like a tech card for forced combat commanders like Marisi. Like if you make all these samurai and then goad everyone, then there's going to be a bloodbath that you are not a participant in. Yeah, it's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of where you are on it, too. Like, uh, at first I was like, okay, yeah, there's playgroups that just want that, you know, like, like, I'm going to hit you real hard right now. And like, yeah, you could block or maybe you can't block because I have a bedlam or something. But like, ha ha ha, look at all this stuff. And then it was like, oh, no, you could be strategic about this. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, goading is just pretty plentiful now. Um, pretty easy to do. Uh, all you need is a, a Grenzo 2.0 and boom, <laughs> like uh, Marisi, boom, like there's, there's just a lot going on. Disrupt decorum, boom. So, yeah, definitely cool. Right. Um, we have one more card. So there are definitely cards that we could keep talking about, but th- I think we're going to start calling it here. So, yeah, so we're we're going to move on to artifact cards now. Um, and there's a lot we could talk about, but we're going to talk about like kind of just the ones that we think are most should be on your radar, I guess. Um, and this first one is called Containment Construct. It is a... T1 artifact creature construct for two mana. It says whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. What the <laughs> so good. So this actually was um was a, a rare in Strixhaven. Or sorry, uh I sorry, I didn't realize yeah, yeah, it was, you were it going was in a different direction with that. No, no, it, I mean it was a rare in Strixhaven. This was the that red guy, the conspiracy um, theorist. Conspiracy theorist. Um, but the fact that this is like generic, like just two mana artifact means it's like easier to tutor up. Um, it's responsible for the price hike of, uh, artificers intuition. Is that what it is? Yeah, I believe so. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like, you can discard, uh, an artifact card to get a one MV or less artifact from your like library and put in your hand. So like you can do this funny stuff with like lion's eye diamond, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this is just good like mm-hmm. this is just a good card you can play it. it turning all of your discard costs into rummaging or, or, or not into rummaging into like impulse draw uh, yeah impulse draw is crazy yeah uh so really where this stuck out to me is like if in any deck with survival of the fittest if assuming you have like a decent amount of mana floating around you can just go get this and then every future creature you discard, uh, you can like cast it while still searching out another creature. So you can just pretty much cast all of the creatures from your library. You're bounded only by the amount of mana you have. That seems quite good. Uh, it's just a, an incredible amount of card advantage. Um, it's also obviously good in like Riel or like Burgi slash Harnfell, uh, Brawlin, Shabraz, Gavi. It's worth noting that if you like Quintorius, um, basically every time you discard a card, you can exile it with this and then get a spirit off Quintorius. But, you know, it's, th- those corner cases aren't nearly as exciting as just what this means for any green deck, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on now, are you good? To, to yeah, yeah, I think deck? we can move on. So this next one is is kind of, an interesting design space. It's called Eater of Virtue. It is a legendary artifact equipment. It costs one mana. 
It says, whenever equipped creature dies, exile it. And then it says, equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero. Uh, and it says, as long as a card exiled with Eater of Virtue has flying, equipped creature has flying. The same is true for first strike, double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace protection, reach, trample, and vigilance. And it has a quip of one. So um, for the low, low cost of whatever it was holding it might get exiled, you have a really good bone splitter. <laughs> <laughs> um I think this is cool. I think that decks that want Bone Splitter want this, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that like the keyword soup quest is like a wild goose chase. Yeah. Um I think that the majority of the power is just concentrated in like the casting cost, the equip cost, and the plus two plus oh. That's what you really need to evaluate this card. Um and there's plenty of decks I'm happy to run a bone splitter in, especially a legendary one. That's going to trigger my like SRAM or not my my SRAM, my uh, Reki, um, but just it being a, a cheap equipment that pumps power. Okay, uh, you'd probably run it in SRAM. You'd probably run it in Wyleth, um, in Valduk, and in Vadric, the uh, day night is it guy that reduces your cost of spells. Like, you know, spending two, one mana and then casting v- v- um, Vadric and equipping it for another one mana. And having your spells cost three less uh, is pretty amazing. I, I don't think you really need to worry too much about all these dumb keywords. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, oh, it was a note. If you exile your commander with Eater of Virtue, it has to stay in exile. You can't like exile it, put it in the command zone. Well, uh, right. I think, I think you can, but it just you won't be able to have it keep the uh abilities the abilities the commander is giving it yeah yeah you yeah either, which is what i mean yeah like, you can either lock yourself out of your commander for the entire game or, or you could not do that yeah exactly so don't don't uh just a note for if you want to play with eater virtue like if you exile your commander but then put them in the command zone to cast them later those keywords don't contribute to eater of virtue yep um which gets us to our last artifact for the day. This is Mirror Box. Uh, this is a three mana artifact. It says the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. It says each legendary creature you control gets plus one plus one, and each non-token creature you control gets plus one plus one for each other creature you control with the same name as that creature. Um, cool, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I, I, this seems fun like I, there's a lot of cool things you can do like one of the problems with mirror gallery was it just cost so much freaking yes mana. yeah but this is like not only does it cost less mana like it gives me a bonus what like that's great and it's huge like they're decks that are gonna get like their army of little shadowborn apostles are gonna be freaking like giant you know like, yeah I, I really like that element of the card like the you know, it's something that you think, oh, this would never come up in Commander, but no, you've got all these decks that happen to have the the same name on a whole bunch of different creatures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the you're playing persistent petitioners, uh, they keep locking you out of your uh your even, Yeah, your Bruvac or whatever. So like plan B, mirror <laughs> <laughs> Attack with the bunch of like eight tens or something like that or however the big they're like one threes or something right like yeah they're one threes yeah their stats don't matter they just really um 
but yeah this is cool i I don't have much more to say about it uh yeah uh there's you know you can figure out which decks wanted mirror gallery and just either make the switch or uh enjoy the redundancy um all right i'm gonna move on to we've got two non-basic lands and then we'll be done uh so the first land we're going to talk about is Roadside Reliquary. It is a land that taps for colorless, and it has two tap, sacrifice Roadside Reliquary, draw a card if you control an artifact, and then draw a card if you control an enchantment. So this is clearly uh, looking for a commander that has uh, at least a critical mass of both of those things. Um, so some that stood out, like SRAM... The, the average EDH rec list runs 28 artifacts and 14 enchantments. Um, Wyleth and Valduk also have like decent numbers of both. Alila is an option, but I just don't know if it's a good choice for that deck because it taps for colorless and that's a three-color deck. You're going to be hard-pressed to find the room in your mana base. Um, you know what? It might be like a... I'll have to look up like God Eternal Ketra because you run like a decent amount of like artifact creatures because you're mono white, mm-hmm. um, and probably like a Cathar's Crusade or something like that too. That might, maybe that's another deck that might want to run something like this. Yeah, and, and you have pretty bad card draw options available to you. Yeah, I would definitely like if you're in mono white, especially because that you know white has a, some good enchantments. Um, just take a look at your your split between these different card types and see if you can work this into your deck. Oh, it um, also looks really good in um, commanders that are enchantments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the gods or, or anything else like that because, you know, it's really not hard to fit a critical mass of artifacts into your deck. And then you your commander, of course, is providing the enchantment apart from the command zone. So consider that. Mm-hmm. And now the last card for the day. So this is Secluded Courtyard. This is a land. Secluded Courtyard is a land. As Secluded Courtyard enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. It has tap, add generic, or tap, add one mana of any color. Spend this mana only to cast creature spells of the chosen type or activate an ability of a creature or creature card of the chosen type. So they had to word that last part funny to work with like ninjutsu and channel and like stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I see. I was wondering about um, that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's better for us, even though it's wordy, it just means that this works in all the ways that you want it to. And uh, it's just better than unclaimed. It's like I would play this in any deck I was running unclaimed territory, but it's also better than unclaimed territory. Yeah. And, and just for your awareness, unclaimed territory currently sees play in 45,000 decks on EDH rec. Um, Whoa, that's well, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's more so than I thought. We're pretty clearly a, a format staple. And I, for most decks, it's identical. Um, the ones that stick out as it being like, you know, a significant upgrade for is. Um, Let's see. It is for uh, Yuriko because, you know, Commander Ninjutsu, that's a, an ability of a creature card. Um, Tazri 1.0, the one who has Wooberg pump all your allies. Yeah. Uh, Najila, who has that Wooberg activation, Horde of Notions with a Wooberg activation. Uh, and then Rin and Seri has that um, Naya activation. Uh, yeah. So all those are, are tribal decks that would be happy for another unclaimed territory, but can 
have relevant activated abilities as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not even mentioning like members of the tribe that you may or may not be playing that might have good stuff. Sure. You know? yeah. Um, yeah, just a, I think instant staple, great card. Um, and the end of the set review. So, yes. woo, okay, if you are still with us, thank you so much. We hope you had a good time uh, kind of going over some of the cards that we think are going to be standouts from the set. Um, and maybe you want to build one of these commanders. And if you do, we would really like to see like what you do with it, like what your list is. Um, maybe there's a card we forgot to talk about, or maybe we just didn't have time <laughs> to talk about <laughs> that you want us to talk about, or you want to talk to us about, or tell us your thoughts on, please feel free to always do that at any of the socials we have. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is for you as much as it is like to get our thoughts straight and kind of like, Every time a set comes out, we kind of have to reevaluate the format as a whole. And that's kind of what these are for us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty? Now that we've we've talked about the entire set, what are you thinking? Yeah. So uh, my thoughts are... I feel like it should have been obvious when they announced something like this in the same way that like we've seen them do um, when they're worried about something, they crank the power level. Um, So it makes sense that they wanted people to like this whole new branch into like techno futurism, like uh, an aesthetic that magic hasn't really done before. So of course they're going to make this set kind of (laughs) banging with like good cards. They're going to put pushed cards in the set and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people were nervous. Uh, and, and of course, like that could have gone poorly too. Like we could have had like not just one cycle of Basajus, but like a bunch of cards that just like ruined things, you know, like, oh my God, I have to play this card in every red deck now. Like, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and I feel like they didn't really do that. They just like carved out some cool space for the most part um, and created some cool commanders and. Like we we only really talked about the red march, but like all of those cards are pretty good for like sixty card and stuff. So that they really hit a lot of notes for a lot of different formats with this set um, at a pretty high power level. They they really like nailed it. Like honestly, this the set is really impressive from like mm-hmm. a design standpoint for me. Do you think that some of the desire to like pump power into this set? comes from like trying to bring netrunner players into the fold now that netrunner like you know wizard still owns the license and has like declined to like license it to other uh game companies like for a while fantasy flight games was releasing netrunner under license from wizards and then that's been concluded um do you do you think that maybe wizards is just trying to bring that bring them into the fold and encourage them to play like this living card game instead of that another one. Um, I mean, it could be that I think definitely part of it is that, um, I also think like, uh, cause one of the criticisms I think Kamigawa is getting is that it's like, there's too much, there's too much going on. Uh, but I think that's just been a criticism of magic period. Like no matter what they do, there's too many sets, too many themes. There's too many, blah 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 but like 
the overload is kind of good for us as players. So I, I don't, I think like the getting Netrunner players interested might have been like a side note. It might have been like a, a, a bullet, like one of the bullets on the bulleted list of things we want to accomplish with this set. But it wasn't something that they like specifically designed into it, or like I, I don't think when it came to power level considerations that they were like we want to get all the netrunner fans into this. I think getting the netrunner fans into it was going to come along with like the aesthetics period, if that makes sense. And they needed to convince magic players that this was good by printing cool cards mm-hmm. <laughs> to make that happen. If that makes sense, like that—that's my feeling. Uh, we can definitely like ask Mark Rosewater and other people on Twitter to like confirm <laughs> if like goals and things like that. They're usually pretty open about that kind of stuff, at least. Um, uh, just just looking over this set, um, look, like what percentage of the words on these cards do you <laughs> think that you could safely cut without greatly <laughs> affecting the power level? <laughs> Yeah, definitely, especially in a lot of the legends. I would say like a good 30% to 20% of like abilities on these cards. Like why does like why does the frog have to jump? <laughs> why does the frog have to jump? Like Kami like could have just been like something else. Like you could have figured out another way to put blue green onto that card, you know, like if yeah. that's what well, your goal was. And I, and you didn't even need like the blue kind of like you mentioned. It's just it's really funny that there are these cards do end up being really wordy when uh, I don't think they really needed to. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, hopefully that's a trend they can turn away from in the future. Like, It just makes the cards intimidating to new players. I mean, maybe they're not like aiming for growth at this point. I don't know. But like, that's kind of the thing I was thinking about earlier when I was talking about like white ramp being super wordy. It just makes it so that new players aren't going to be as attracted to these cards because it's like i can't figure out all the things that are happening at the moment like as in franchise players like we see oh there's a whole bunch of hooks here but it's it just makes it like impenetrable like imagine trying to teach somebody using this set where every rare has like 10 lines of text anyway yeah yeah i I think that that could be a thing. I think one of the things that they've realized, like why they've cranked the uh, intensity, is like there is a point at which the casual player gets intimidated when they're trying to jump in deeper. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there is a player who just like opens a pack. They play with their friends every now and then. Like the complexity doesn't affect them. So there's kind of like this point at which the players we know are when we're trying to get people interested that they might turn away from because of like the complexity in like, let's say Kamigawa or like call time or something like that. And I think they've zeroed in on where that is where like casual players never experience that overload to a certain point, unless they're trying to become enfranchised players. And at which case, like they might just become enfranchised players anyway, because like they want to, or their friends play or something like that. So it, it's, the fact that they keep doing it leads me to believe that like something is working for them and i it, and it they keep seeing some sort of growth so maybe maybe it's not actually as like much of a deterrent as 
they thought or we thought, you know, like I'm I'm not sure why if it was harmful they would keep doing it, you know. I I don't know. I think it could just be like a slow turnaround time or like a slow iteration time. Like if it's, you know, if they're working 2 years in the future, I think it was around Pharaohs Beyond Death that I started really noticing like God, why are all these cards like take taking us forever to read? <laughs> like what at what percentage <laughs> of our set reviews of these like four or five hour set reviews are just us reading these incredibly lengthy cards? Um <laughs> yeah, it's true. You're I mean you're not wrong. <laughs> so so like if Theros Beyond Death was two years ago, it's only just now that they're gonna be able to start pivoting or they like incorporating the feedback that oh, this is way too much going on here. This is impenetrable. But anyway, um, I any any final thoughts on the set? I, I'm happy to wrap it up here. Yeah, I'm happy to. I, I think that um, like from a commander standpoint, like this design uh, just injects a lot of stuff into a lot of archetypes. And as a commander player, I enjoy that. Um, and I totally acknowledge that there are negatives to something like this or a set this complex but i'm cool (laughs) i don't know you know what i mean like like i'm i'm happy to see what's going on like this benefits me personally so i'm not super upset maybe in a few years like you're saying like if this keeps going it just is too much but for now um i think i'm just gonna play with cool cards and uh, make jokes about how complex they are and we'll see if this leads to anything bad <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i mean it might but who knows yeah i'm i'm really happy as well I, I honestly i think the the cards that i'm most excited about are relatively simple i i just like the archetypes that are being opened up by all these commanders um i think they're all i mean the vast majority of them are very interesting. I, I think I expect I'm going to build a lot of decks out of this set. Uh, and I think it's a, a great, it's a great set for commander. Yeah. Um, and on that note, thank you all so much. Yes. I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, the White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Emmanuel, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal, Brutal, Carl, Oscar, and Gremlin. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.